When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same-day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll, I'll have, what uh, do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. T- distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have you, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 105 of the White Tails Traction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me in my basement, Charles Hedlund. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> that sounds a little creepy if you think about it. Like you got me in your basement. I we're do recording a podcast. Okay, this glow lights on right now. Like, where's the casting couch, bud? Uh, that back room back there. Let's <laughs> <laughs> let's check it out. <laughs> Hey, follow me this way. Yeah, come check out this back room. It's very well lit. <laughs> Guys, if you're not aware, this is a late night introduction that we are adding after the fact. Yes, it, it's <laughs> it's good. There's, yeah, don't even worry about it. It's, it's going to be real nice. We, uh, <laughs> we've been trying some radio voices like just absolute dipshits because we got some new microphones and uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it. This is crisp, man. It's pretty good. Pretty good. I hope we sound as good as what it sounds like right now in my ears. I don't know. Probably On the not. other end. Probably Well, not. when we edit this tomorrow, we'll figure it out. I like it. So, we have Joey Bell on today. Joey Bell. I'm really excited for this one. We had a really good conversation with him. I enjoyed it. We covered like some seriously awesome topics. This one goes deep, boys and girls. This one goes all over the place, but it's so turkey related it's conservation it's habitat like there's i mean there's out west hunting like i laughed i cried i had (laughs) emotional damage like (laughs) you don't even need the soundboard oh freaking hilarious (laughs) man that was actually pretty damn good like that was pretty good but we got to keep this short we got to we got to reel it in we got we got to reel it in we got to touch on our partners real quick we got to Hammer them out because this episode's a little bit longer. What kind of people make this podcast possible? Well, first and foremost, I'd like to thank Scree Gear 
because scree gear without them, we're not getting out there in some of the more extreme weather and we're not getting it done. Absolutely. Extreme mountain gear, man. Absolutely. They have some turkey bundles going on right now. Check it out. If you buy their turkey bundles, they throw in a free pot call. Awesome. It's awesome too. It looks really cool. It's got the freaking, it's a, it's a, it's a glass call. It's got their logo on it. Freaking sweet. It's real sweet. And you know, the bundles, it's, if you want to get into screw gear, it's one of the best ways to get into it. I'm not going to ramble on about this. Use the code WDP20. Get yourself 20% off your first purchase. There you go. Next. VIP archery. I finally got it right. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Almost. Guys, go check out the broadheads. We've been doing a lot more turkey content lately. Check out their new guillotines, guys. There's two different kinds. I think there's the guillotine X and then Mm -hmm. there's like the regular guillotine. Check them out. They're all new, redesigned. They're absolutely bad to the bone. If you want to get out there and shoot one with your bow, I'm definitely going to try it this year. Why not just shoot a freaking turkey's head off? I mean, (laughs) how freaking cool is that? That we'll would see. Be, that would be pretty cool. It's actually a goal of ours. Um, this year is to get one with the bow. Not my personal goal, but I think Joe's down. He said he wants to get one with the bow real bad. I'm I on top. I know you do. So we'll see. We got to get the right property and the right setup. We'll, I, we'll get her done. I think, I think we can. We can I think it. we manage. And that's not the only broadhead, guys. There's no better time right now than to get yourself loaded up when you're building arrows. Go get you some VIP archeries, new broadheads. They have three-blade designs, four-blade design, two-blade designs. Go check them all out on their brand-new website. They have inserts. They have field tips. They got it all. It's a one-stop shop now. Build your arrows right there on the website. That leads us right into out-on-a-limb manufacturing. I'm using the Ridge Runner. You got the one stick. With the Monarch with platform. With the Monarch platform. Absolutely freaking awesome. Guys, if you want to get into the saddle game or the tree stand game or the mobile game in general, they just have the best products, hands down. Like. American made, right made right in Oklahoma. Matt Garris is absolutely the man. Go check him out. He's running sales all the time. He goes on social media, does lives constantly. He really likes to talk to people. Reach out to him. Talk to him if you have an idea floating around in your head. I'm sure he can make it come to fruition. Yeah. It's show season right now. Yep. Check him out at the shows. He was just at NWTF. He was in Harrisburg. There is a sale going on this weekend because he's at a show. And guys, take advantage when these sales come up because He's got the bob out right now. He's got some new stuff. He's got the camera arm. I mean, pretty much anything you need for hunting, mobile hunting, that's the guy to go to. Absolutely. Check him out. Right into A&F Custom Calls, guys. Use our deal. <laughs> Use our code WDP. Get yourself some free shipping on some awesome freaking mouth calls. He does a couple different cuts. Combo cut, V cut, ghost cut. Batwing. Batwing. Bat okay. Yeah. There's a couple the- different tensions, <laughs> hunter and competition. You know, guys, check him out. So many different styles that he has. Yeah. I talked to Kyle and he basically said to, if you were a new person on his website looking on what to buy, he suggests getting one call of each tension to find what you like the best. He's got the hunters, the bossy hen, and the competition style call. So I personally like the competition. It's a lot tighter tension. I like the bat wing call the best. And now my new favorite might be the ghost cut. So. Guys, check them out, and you will not be disappointed. Also, $1 from every call that he sells goes directly towards the Allegheny National Forest. Last but not least, we got to thank New Canoe, man. New Canoe. You're running the 
I'm the unlimited. unlimited. Yep. I'm looking forward <laughs> to getting the unlimited out. It's almost bass season. It is almost bass season. I'm really excited about that too. Might be using it to haul some turkey out. We'll see. But Ooh. I'm feeling frisky and I want to get that thing on the water. I like it. That's all we got. We got to get Joey on, man. This is exciting stuff. Let's bring him on. All right, guys. We are here with the Tennessee Turkey Terminator. That's what I'm going to start calling them. <laughs> yeah, I know my paper says phenom, and that could be accurate as well. But we have Joey Bell on here. We have a good southern boy from Tennessee who loves killing turkeys, eats, sleeps, breathes turkey hunting. Joey, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I'm on the road this week for work, as I am uh, many weeks, but I'm excited to talk turkeys for the rest of the night if need be. I don't have, <laughs> I'm not at home uh, with my wife, so I can talk until daylight. So let's go, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can see this stuff gets you fired up as it does us. Yeah, dude. It's, it, it bit me, uh, you know, when I was in high school or so. And I got a pretty good story about that, you know, for, you know, for when we get to that. But, uh, yeah, it's just the, I haven't been bit by the whitetail bug like a lot of guys have. And, uh, that's probably, that's a hundred percent my fault. You know, I grew up hunting a lot of private land. Uh, and I would just sit in a deer stand and just wait for deer. You know, I just never got involved with it, but turkeys, when I really started hunting them, it, I just fell in love with it. And it just, I've been, uh, taking it to another level, I guess, every year, year after year and learning new things. And uh, I can't get enough of it. I think about it 24 <laughs> seven. Well, I mean, let's run with that, man. You you said a little bit about the, how you're out of town for work. Why don't we jump right into a quick introduction to just kind of who you are, what you do for work, and uh, I guess we already mentioned where you're from, but we can just, just bring us back and take us to little Joey up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up on a, okay, I grew up on a farm in Middle Tennessee in a Hickman County in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my dad was a full-time farmer. Uh, mother worked at the Levi's plant in town. Uh, I'm about as average as I come in all aspects of life, uh, except for my wife out kicked my coverage there. Uh, my wife, Krista. <laughs> and then uh, I'm also a dad to uh, my daughter, Jolene. And I got another, another one coming in June, a baby boy. Oh uh, man. Congratulations. It's awesome. You Thank planned you that really much. well, by the way. So, Good job. Hey, I'm telling you, here's, here's the first tip of the podcast. Don't conceive children in June, July, or August if you like to go turkey hunting because you don't want any births in March, April, or May. So, well, that's that's tip number one for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm part of the uh, Bad Timing Award. Right before our whitetail season, I had my second daughter, so she came right at the end of September. I was just screwed, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my daughter, my daughter was born at the end of August. And uh, so if I was a whitetail guy, uh, you know, those early seasons just got squashed right then and there. But, uh, yeah, have, having kids in June and August, that's that's fine with me. And, I, and we're done after that. So I'm good. I'm golden. I can coast from there. <laughs> two for two. I like it, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I went to college at Middle Tennessee State there in Murfreesboro, and I got a degree in uh, concrete industry management. It's a bachelor's degree that they offer there. And uh, that took me after graduation up to uh, Northern Virginia, where I worked for for an uh, airfield paving company. We paved taxiways and runways and stuff like that on all the airfield, all the airports and Air Force bases in the mid-Atlantic. And uh, after a few years there, I took my current job, which is a business development manager for a clay company that makes clay additives for various industries, uh, paint, adhesives, ceramics. And we have one product for concrete, and that's what I deal with. So I deal strictly with uh, the concrete market. 
So I'm up here at, uh, I was up at our corporate office this week for work, uh, doing some work in the lab. And uh, most of the time I'm on the road at various parts of the country. I don't really have a set territory visiting customers and doing, you know, product demos or something on the construction side or just assisting customers or you name it. Uh, we're out there doing it. So that's where I'm at now, man. Heck yeah, dude. Heck yeah. And you just had a, uh, a stint with BHA as well. And there's some pretty exciting news to come out of your state and with BHA and everything. Do you want to cover that real quick? Yeah, I, I first got involved with BHA in 2017 or 18. I think 2017, I started out as like a state captain. And then 2018, I became a state chair. And then 2019, Tennessee actually broke off from the Southeast chapter and uh, created our own chapter. So I was chapter chair for them for um, up until January 1st of this year. And uh, when I stepped away, my term was up in, in May, but you know, we, I just mentioned, you know, we're having a baby in June and uh, I travel a lot. I'm on the road. So I just felt like I didn't have the time to properly do that job. And uh, I'd stepped away from it and let somebody much more adequate that had uh, more time for it. And I'm glad that I did because you mentioned uh, there were a couple of things that happened just here in the last couple of months of 2022, you know, that really required their attention. And uh, the biggest one was uh, Yanali WMA. And if you follow anybody, you know, any of the Southeast based chapters of BHA, you know, they spread the word really fast. And I actually think that the Tennessee chapter was the first conservation organization that broke the news about Yanali. Yanali was in danger of getting, getting turned over to the county and they were going to strip TWRA of the management of that property. And our first reaction was, you know, we didn't know of any county in Tennessee that had the manpower or anything in their budget to, you know, to manage a WMA properly, uh, let alone a 10,000 10, acre one. So we uh, we sent our emails and sent our voicemails to the right people and on all of our representatives. And we got that squashed within a few weeks. So uh, kudos to the current chapter of Tennessee BHA. You know, those guys uh, kicked ass and, you know, got the word out. And everybody, I think everybody in the Southeast, anybody that come across uh, that issue on social media, you know, contacted, you know, whatever representative they had in their region and uh, let their voices be heard. So that was excellent work by those guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's a serious win. Mm -hmm. I know I was seeing some things going around, even up our way, people that wanted to, you know, give it out information of who to contact, you know, who to reach out to basically, and just voice your opinion, how we don't want those, how the house bill and the state bill to go through. And thank goodness for, you know, a win for conservation a win for us hunters and the people that enjoy that land so that was awesome man it's mm -hmm. good to see wins on our side we make up a small percentage of the population and when we can make big wins like that that's one more that we pushed from encroaching on you know what we do i guess not as yeah living, absolutely but what we do. we're i've got a you know before we start recording like i said i got i got some notes here and you know the the representation of hunters in relation to the U.S. population is something, you know, we can discuss later, but it, but it does go to show that, yeah, we are, we are the minority in most every aspect of the population, but we can be the loudest and we can make a difference. And I don't think, I think if, if we all, if every hunter, you know, in America, you know, just sent an email or attended a, you know, a, a commission meeting or something once a month, now that's got to help us uh, dramatically uh, in terms of getting things done for us. Pretty cool, man. Yeah. Pretty badass. 
All right. So we want to, I want to jump into something else now. We we're talking turkeys and turkeys is going to be the main focus, but we can't just pass that he's killed a Montana mule deer. <clears throat> no, right? I mean, we got to, we got to, you know, help out our little whitetail <laughs> listeners and our deer hunters and everything like that. Just give them like a little taste and then we'll hop right back into I the turkey. Agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so you had some success, man. Some success in Montana. You had some success in Tennessee. I guess we need to talk about your deer season. Okay. I know Austin loves deer hunting still. I do. Very much so. I love turkey <laughs> hunting too, but like. I love deer hunting yeah, too. We, we, we have to. We can't just go all turkey, I guess. We have to ease our way into this. We're <laughs> tipping, dipping our toes. Well, so. the, uh, the, uh, the Tennessee deer wasn't much of a story. It was one of those, like I said, I, I kind of ruined myself. Uh, deer hunting growing up you know it, the the deer i killed in tennessee and he just walked by at the right time and i was sitting I honestly hey i hunt out of a, bu- a box blind when i hunt my farm i ain't even gonna lie about it <laughs> i sit up there and i just watch i watch animals and, and critters and i might shoot a deer every now and then and that one just happened to walk by and uh, he got me excited so that was basically the story of the whitetail but uh i, I just i talk smack on deer hunters all the time just because you know i like to talk smack but uh, I do love to go out west and deer hunt just because there's a lot of walking. The scenery is gorgeous. It's just so different than, you know, than the deer hunting we do here in the east. And so my buddy Jacob actually kind of arranged this trip. His father is from Montana, and he's getting pretty old up in age, and he wanted to take him on a good mule deer hunt, you know, before he got too, you know, too old to do anything else. And so we went up there. It was uh, myself and Jacob and his dad and, and a couple other guys, and we all had buck tags. and. Uh, Everybody, everybody except Bob, Jacob's dad got a buck, but, uh, we all got bucks and everybody else. I think a couple other guys picked up a couple doe tags. So we got a couple does and it was just a fun week out there just riding around. We were hitting a bunch of different spots, doing a lot of glass and saw some rutting action out there when we were out there. So that was pretty cool. See mule deer, you know, fighting and whatnot. So it was just, it was just a blast. The deer hunting I do, I, I like to go out West and do it. It's just, it's just fun to me. Yeah, I can take that, man. Is that is that like one of your first Western trips or is that something you've been doing for a while? We've been out there a handful of times now. My first trip out there, I think, was in 2018. I think that's right. 2017 or 18. I uh, went on an antelope hunt out there and got an antelope. And then the year after that, uh, Jacob and I went back out there. We, uh, we were going to do a backcountry hunt for a week or a handful of days. And we ended up getting a foot of snow dumped on us after the first night and like not made it off the mountain. That, that's a whole nother story there about, about not getting off the mountain and about running out of gas and getting <laughs> stuck in a spot for like four hours. It was, it was a mess. So uh, we come off the mountain and ended up getting, you know, a couple of whitetail doe and some uh, antelope doe instead of the cow elk and mule deer tags that we had in our pockets, but had a lot of fun. And then I went out West to uh, Montana this past year. We've been out there. We went out to Wyoming in 2021, uh, turkey hunting, and then we went to Oklahoma the year before that and Nebraska the year before that. So we like to go out there. I mean, it's just different. It's a different, different landscapes. The scenery is gorgeous, like I said before, and a lot of birds. You know, most places got a lot of birds and the pressure is not as bad. So we like to go out there. Yeah, absolutely. I love it out west, man. I don't get out there as much as I used to, but it is. There's something special about it out there. I've never done any turkey hunting out there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in the future. I don't know. I'll make it work. Maybe. Yeah, we 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 got some things yeah. planned. Yeah, we'll get some <laughs> stuff done. <going. laughs> 
Selfish, <laughs> selfishly, we had to circle back to Turkey, right? Ah, we're, we're back on Turkey now. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Well done, Joey. Well done. But, dude, hunting turkey out west, this is going to be, I mean, we did Oklahoma this past spring. That was a blast. Oh, my God. What, what an unbelievable trip. So much fun. We all killed birds. We had an absolute blast. Got on a ton of birds. But we're doing Montana this year. Me and you were talking about that a little bit. And selfishly, man, Merriam's, I've never seen them. I've never, other than watching them on TV, I've never heard them. Don't know their behavior. Um, you know, what's the difference? Because you're, you're a hardcore eastern hunter, right? And what's the difference here when, you're, when I got to deal with Merriam's? This is selfishly my question. So Merriam's, in my experience, when they fly off that roost in the morning, they hit the ground and they walk. And they walk pretty much all day long. They just cover immense amount of ground all day. And they they may even circle back to that same roost tree that they pitched out of in the morning. But in my experience, you know, you can hear them from a long ways away. And uh, those Miriams do like to gobble. But uh, don't think that just because they like to gobble that they're going to come running in every time you call, like some of those people you've seen on TV. He's liable to, go- to gobble the entire time he's walking a mile away from you. <laughs> and he'll continue to gobble until he's out of earshot. So. You have to treat them, and you know I think just like you would any turkey, you know here in the east. And if he's in the right mood, if you can get him fired up, and if you can get him gobbling to you and searching for you, then I think you know you got more chips in your pile. And that's turkeys are going to be turkeys, you know, regardless of where they are, just because they gobble and yodel whatever they do out west. That <laughs> is a funny ass school, gobble, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they sound like barnyard birds, but I mean they'll still get you torqued up, man, because oh, yeah. they just like to do it so much. And the sound carries, so you can hear them from a long ways away. But it's just a blast out there. Yeah. What are what are some of those terrain challenges compared to what you face around here? Well, depending on where you go, you know, Miriam's, you know, you have those up in northwest Nebraska where they don't really have mountains; it's more hills, so the terrain's not too terrible out there. Uh, but then they do live up in the mountains, like in Wyoming or. Montana, Colorado, you know, that whole area out in the out in the west there. So as far as terrain, you know, like I said, the same thing kind of applies to the back east. You know, look for that diverse habitat, those uh, creek bottoms or river bottoms. Uh, look for that kind of, I guess, that, that outlying uh, habitat. Like, for instance, you know, back east, I see, you know, if you have a big expanse of hardwoods and on a satellite map, you know, it just looks like a big expanse of hardwoods. But maybe if you turn turn your topo on or, you know, something and you can see water, you can see river bottoms, you know, just look for something that's out of the ordinary. Well, I think the same can apply to out there when you're looking at an aerial map of, you know, just pick a state and it just looks brown, you know, just brown prairie or rolling hills or just Yeah, a lot of it looks the same. Yeah. You know, kind of focus on those those creek drainages and where that water is because you'll have trees there and there's more food there. And uh, just, you know, just cover ground. You know, if you don't know how to do anything else, you know how to walk. So you can walk and see a long way and you can eventually find turkeys. That's good advice. Heck yeah. Yeah. Put miles on the boots. Yeah. Got to get in shape, I guess. It's not great advice. <laughs> I, would th- I would think you probably, yeah, probably. Just <laughs> <laughs> tell me I got to walk. <laughs> you mean I can't just shoot him out of the car? Come on, man. <laughs> No, that's... I think you can in a couple states. I don't. I don't think they frown too much on road hunting in a few spots. So I don't know. You might. You might still be in good shape. Oh, that's hilarious. No, it's about the experience for sure. And I think that's one of the things when you go out there. You're 
you're looking for the experience more than just the hunt. And I, I look forward to it for sure. For sure. All right. That was my selfish uh, rant. But dude, you did have a heck of a spring season and you did kill a bird out there. So I guess it's still relevant. I want you to talk a little bit about your Wyoming trip because you did end up getting one down. Yeah. You know, when we went out there, you really have to watch the weather. And we went out there in the middle of April. And I think I've heard a couple of guys say this. Anytime you go out west before May 1st, anything can happen. And so when you go after May 1st, you know, the the chances of a foot of snow getting dropped on you, you know, drop kind of significantly. I mean, there's still the chance that it happens. But uh, when we went out there, that exact thing happened. We had a lot of snow get dumped on us overnight. And so it made hunting really hard, or at least hard to me, because I don't know anything about hunting turkeys in the snow. But before the snow, before the snow came, we were able to just cover a lot of ground. And we finally stumbled upon one uh, with some hens. And uh, there wasn't much of a story to him. You know, he, he had his hens and he was pretty content with them. But we dropped down into a creek bank and closed the distance on him and got out in front of him. And we basically bushwhacked him. Uh, so there wasn't, wasn't much to that one. Uh, when we went out to the Black Hills, uh, we killed that first one kind of over in the Bighorn Mountains. And then we went over to the Black Hills, uh, and again, it was just a whole lot of snow. And the biologists I talked to out there said, hey, they're, they're still turkeys. They're still going to do what they want to do, even in the snow. And I'm not saying he's wrong, but I am saying that we hardly heard any turkeys <laughs> <laughs> while that snow was falling on us. And uh, it was tough hunting out there. You know, we walked a lot, Got off, finally got on some tracks later in the week, and uh, the weather was starting to break. It was starting to warm up, and snow was getting gone. And I think the evening before we had to leave, you know, we finally got on birds, but we couldn't call them cross property line uh, over on the public. So I still think, you know, had we into, had we had another day or two out there, we probably could have cl- killed a couple more birds, but we just came away with that one. So we got uh, we got some unfinished business business out there that we'll have to go back for. That's awesome. I can uh, I can actually personally attest to how crazy the weather is in Wyoming. I was actually out there on my birthday one year, right in the middle of August. We were up on top of a mountain, and it started snowing in August. <laughs> it was crazy. The sun was shining, and a big swarm of uh, of black flies came through. It was absolutely miserable, and then it started snowing. <laughs> Pretty wild, man. <laughs> it's like the end of the world. It's crazy. <laughs> black flies. Yeah, it was weird, man. flies, and then <laughs> snow in August. Literally, we had a snowball fight on my birthday. It was weird. Well, we had a... We did have a year here, though. about that life. Yeah. (laughs) We had a year here. It was was in May. It was well into May, and we had probably two inches fall on us while we were turkey hunting up up my camp not too far from here, and I ended up getting a bird that day. Yeah. In the snow. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I've actually killed two birds in with snow on the ground, which is insane. That should never happen. It's supposed to be so nice when you turkey hunt. I don't know where that Mm -hmm. went, man. Global warming just isn't. Doing it for us. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've I've been hunting, you know, even down home in Tennessee, you know, in the middle of April. And that right cold front comes through and it'll spit snow on you right there in the middle of April. So it can it can do anything anywhere, I guess, in, in before May. So. <sighs> Absolutely wild, I don't man. Know. I don't like it. I want, I want like 65 and overcast every day. Yeah. I like a little cooler than that. I like the overcast, little, yeah. little slight breeze. I'm talking yeah. like 65 a high. You know, you wake up, it's like 52, Yeah, warms up to 65. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, there was, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, 
we had like just the same weather forever and ever and ever. And I was just like waiting. I, we needed a rain or something, something to throw them off because the birds weren't acting right. They, none of them were gobbling. Nobody wanted to talk. They didn't want to act like turkeys. And it wasn't until we got some actual rain when they started to, you could actually drive around, find them in fields, call them in, and, and they started acting like turkeys again. It was just weird. I remember that. It was mm -hmm. like nine days straight of the same weather. And then finally a front came in and the whole season changed. It's crazy. Have you seen yeah, stuff like that, Joey? I mean, there's been times when uh, I remember when we went out to Oklahoma, it wasn't the weather. It was just the area of the state we were in. And uh, that's another piece of advice I give to everybody. When you go, if you got a week and you go somewhere, be pretty flexible about where you can go and don't be 100% committed to an area. Uh, you know, we went to one part of Oklahoma and we spent a day and a half there, maybe heard one gobble and saw one hen and maybe a couple tracks. Uh, so it just wasn't happening. So we just pulled up stakes, you know, literally we were camping and moved to another part of the state and we finally found some birds and we were able to close the week out and kill a few birds. So even if it's, if it's not the weather, you know, or if it is the weather, you got the weather all over the state and they're still not cooperating in one part. And I, you know, just go to another part because they, a couple hours away, a couple hours away could just make the world a difference on how birds are acting. So would you consider yourself a pretty mobile turkey hunter? Yeah, and I think that's what drew me to it versus deer hunting was just being able to get up and walk around and call and I don't know, I guess my ADHD would kick in and <laughs> I just need to go walk somewhere. So, and I think uh, it's helped and hurt, you know, depending on the day, but it's just more exciting. And this is the same reason I go out west, you know, for deer hunting, you know, it's, it's a lot of walking and, you know, it's, it's just different. I, I'm just not one to sit in the same place you know, all day, even on turkeys, you know, I, I hate waiting on turkeys to show up and, you know, I'll spend an hour, two hours around the spot and I'll leave. I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. No, I can take that. And that kind of goes into like, you said you got kind of like bit by like the bug going out there, the turkey bug, man. I'm curious how it kind of all started for you. Like, is it something that you started off at a young age? Is that something your dad did or, you know, some uncles or, you know, how, how did that kind of come about with you? You're in the southern state. I mean, southern uh, tradition with turkey hunting is huge. Yeah, and, and even in Tennessee, I don't think we really have the culture that, you know, Mississippi or Alabama has. Right. I think they have it way worse than we do uh, as far as the amount of people that love it. Uh, I didn't get into turkey hunting until I think I was 15 or so when I killed my first turkey. And it was actually my agriculture teacher in high school that got me started in it. I remember he, I think he had... He was bringing his calls to class or whatever, and he was like, I don't know, conditioning pot call or box call or something. He'd just be tinkering around with them, messing with them during, you know, you know, downtimes or whatever in the class. And I just got to talking to him, and he came out to uh, the farm that we had uh, one morning, and we got some turkeys gobbling, and we never got on any birds, but I don't know, just hearing hearing them gobble, and like I said before, kind of being mobile and going to different places, and you know, it was just something different than the deer hunting I was used to. And I'd quail hunted with my dad and everything else. It was just something different. And when, uh, when I killed my first turkey, you know, after that, I just tried to hunt turkeys like we hunted deer. You know, I built a gr built ground blinds in the edge <laughs> of fields and I uh, would just wait for turkeys. But, but I still had my box call. I was still trying to call turkeys and, you know, I didn't know anything about anything. And, uh, I eventually lucked up, killed a Jake or something with a, it was a 20 gauge Belgium Brown and 
with squirrel shot or whatever number six shot that we had rolling around in, in the drawer, you know, at home. <laughs> I remember shooting that thing and I didn't, I'd never seen somebody kill a turkey. I didn't even know what they did. So I shot this turkey and it started flopping, you know, and raising all kinds of cane. Well, I, in my eyes, I thought it was about to jump up and run off. So I basically emptied the chamber on this Jake <laughs> flopping around on the ground. And then I, then I was sitting there, I was out of shells and I was just watching this bird still flopping and I didn't really know what to do until he finally quit. But, you know, it wasn't until maybe a couple of seasons after that, that I really fell in love with turkey hunting. And I had started watching, you know, I was watching Michael Waddell and, you know, the real tree guys and the Drury's and the Kings of Spring and whatever else I could get my hands on. And, you know, back then you could watch, you watch hunting on TNN and ESPN or whatever. Yeah. And so I got, I got to watching, got to watching how actual turkey hunting went. And, uh, I bought me a leafy suit and I got this, uh, I saved up some money and I got one of those pretty boy decoys. Y'all may remember them, those big giant strutter decoys. I guess it was the first one that they ever come out with. And, uh, I got that in a lay down hen and it come in this, it looked like a, uh, it looked like a laundry sack, just a big mesh sack. And I'd carry that thing across the field or whatever going hunting. And I'd look like Santa Claus walking across the field with this giant bag of decoys. I still have one. And um, <laughs> they worked, man. They yeah. did pretty good. And uh, I remember setting this thing up in, in one of the fields that we had on one of the cattle farms that we had rented. And I was with, had my leafy suit on. And I think I had to do, I had, I'd had my, uh, I'd gotten a 10 gauge single shot for uh for a turkey gun, designated turkey gun. That thing had like a 32-inch full choke barrel. Uh, <laughs> but I was just hunting, you know, private land. I didn't have to carry that thing around anywhere. So I was set up there, and I was calling a little bit. I'd started practicing calling, and I had my decoys set up. And this bird gobbled across the field. And I couldn't see across the field. There was like a rise in the middle of the field. And it was like 300 yards across or whatever. And this bird gobbled on the roost, and he pitched down, I guess. And he kept gobbling, kept gobbling. And I could tell he was getting closer. And, uh... So I just started getting ready and I eventually just saw his head poke up over the rise in the field. And it wasn't but a couple seconds after I saw his head, he like ran into my decoy spread. I mean, dropped feathers, sprinted into the decoy spread. And so when he got there, he started just making circles around this decoy and then he started just beating the crap out of it. And so I'm just sitting there, you know, didn't really know what to do at, the, at that point. I'd never seen nothing like this in real life. And I'm like, well, He's either going to, I either got to kill this thing or he's going to tear up that fancy decoy out of his box. So I finally got him to stop and enough to, to get a shot off and I killed him. And oddly enough, something had pulled his beard out. So he had the spot uh, on his breast where his beard was. And I don't know if it's coyote, no telling, but something had pulled that beard out. And I just remember that distinctly. But other than that, he was a big old bird, had big old spurs. And yeah, that was the, that was the thing that hooked me. Uh, right then and there and i ain't been the same ever since yeah that's a pretty good experience to get you hooked man holy smokes that's so weird that something pulled his beard out like you gotta think like when you pull beard out of a bird you take like that plug out basically like you gotta yeah. use some force to get that thing out it's not just like chilling there <laughs> you know what i mean holy smokes that's not something like a possum yeah, that's what made on. me think it was a coyote or something like i don't think it was a tur another turkey probably couldn't have pulled that thing out it had to been a coyote or bobcat or no telling what. Yeah, man. Laid him out with that old 10 gauge. Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Was there anything we left still got of that him? thing. It's still in the safe, but that barrel, the barrel on that thing looked like a stove pipe. It was huge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That is awesome. 
I had, I think, one bird that did that. When they run in like that and they look like velociraptors, yeah. thank you. Yeah. They look like velociraptors. They <laughs> drop and they're, they're wiggling, they're running in full speed at you. That is the coolest stuff, man. I can, I can definitely see how that would get you hooked just like that. But you didn't have anyone else, though. Like, other than your teacher, there was no other mentor. You kind of were more or less self-taught throughout the whole process. Yeah, because my dad... Uh... My dad grew up in Hickman County, there where we live, where he lives now. And let's see, he was born in '43, and he went in the army like early '60s, I think, uh, before he turned right around when he turned 17. His his grandpa, he lived with his grandparents. His grandparents signed him signed him up uh, to go to the army when he was 17. But anyway, like when he left for the army in the '60s, you know, there were no deer, there were no turkeys, uh, so he didn't have any interest. Um, he didn't have any exposure to any of that. And then he went to the army, uh, got married uh, to my mother and they lived in Florida, uh, through the late, the mid late sixties and a couple of years into the seventies. And then they moved back. And, uh, I'd actually asked him about this not too long ago. Uh, when he got back up to Tennessee in the seventies, there were deer, uh, weren't any turkeys yet. So he started deer hunting a little bit, but a uh, long story short, no, you know, there there really wasn't anybody that I knew that turkey hunted that much. And like I said, my ag teacher, he took me a couple times and never got on any birds with him though. But I just, I don't know. I just, it was kind of self-taught and I just was constantly watching whatever videos I could get my hands on constantly tinkering with calls. And I don't know, it was just something, it was something different too, that you know everybody else was a deer hunter, you know, growing up. And it was just something different that I could do that. I don't know. Nobody else was really doing. So. Yeah. That's pretty cool too, man. I can think like, you know, talking, like hearing you talk about your dad and then there were no turkeys back then, you know, talking to like my, my older uncle, my uncle Bob, actually, he, I mean, you talk to him, he can remember the first time he saw a turkey track. He was like flabbergasted by it. You know, that whole generation, like yeah. when turkeys started coming around, like if somebody saw one, like they went and told all their neighbors and everything, but I saw a turkey, you know, yeah. it's just yeah. a weird thing. And that's something that we haven't experienced because turkeys have always been around in mind. I mean, my yeah. time, I mean. A lot of them too, turkeys and deer, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, he's right where his uncle lives. My dad used to live right down the street, basically through the woods from him. And he used to tell me all the time, you know, if they saw deer track, it was like you called all your, your relatives over and they'd just come look at this. You got to see this. It's a deer track. You know, mm -hmm. to them, it was like all the deer and everything were up the mountains. Everything's up the mountains, right? You got to drive two hours to go get on. And there's a ton of deer. I mean, there's tons, tons of deer up there, but nothing was around here. And I couldn't imagine growing up in that era where you didn't have turkeys or deer to chase, no. especially like near you. You had to do it the way they did it. Like once a year, first day of rifle, you're up at camp with your mm -hmm. whole family, for, which we still do. Yeah. But I mean, that's yeah. something we do, you know, maybe a couple weekends out of the year. But I couldn't imagine not like being able to hunt 20 minutes from here, 30 yeah. minutes from here. So weird. You know, before work going out and <laughs> yeah. hunting for like two, three hours. I do that all the time now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So really cool yeah. influence too, having your ag teacher kind of get you into it a little bit and like you getting your, your interest kind of him tinkering around with calls and stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, I think every year I've done either done something different or I've tried to do something different. Uh, I, I even tried to, I think I tried to bow hunt turkeys, I think for a couple of times one year, I squashed that pretty quick. But uh, just, you know, here in the last few years, I really started hunting public a lot more and stepping, basically trying to step my game up there and, you know, trying to wean myself off of decoys and just doing different things just to, you know, 
try to keep your game up. You know, I think if you just hunt one way and do things one way for years on end, then I mean, one, it gets monotonous, you know, it'll get boring. If I kept uh, doing like I was doing at first, if I kept just building a blind on the edge of the field and shooting turkeys as they walk by, there's, I probably would have hung that up, you know, after a handful of years. Yeah. But instead I tried to do something different and, in, and I still do that today. Like I said, public land. And then I travel, you know, I'm as, like I said, I'm as average as they come. You know, I've got a Monday through Friday job. I hunt on the weekends and I take a week off in the spring and I go turkey hunting somewhere. Uh, my buddy Jacob goes with me. So, you know, just going, going to different places and being exposed has done nothing but help me. Even in Nebraska and in Wyoming where we're hunting Miriams, where they, you know, that terrain is totally different than what we have back here. But there are still things that I pick up there that I can use back home and vice versa. So I think traveling and uh, hunting has made the biggest impact on how I do things anymore. There's something to be said about being self-taught and then the number of experiences and learning as you go. I mean, there's something to be learned every year. Like you said, every turkey's different and it's nice when you have eight or nine different methods to kill a turkey because sometimes it takes till you get to that eighth method to finally close the distance and get it done. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it is pretty cool yeah. when you get to that point and you, okay, well, this worked on this bird. Let me try this. Or, you know, let's, let's yeah. try this now because he's still hung up. Or maybe, you know, you mm -hmm. start to learn when they're with hens and then, okay, got to get up and move on them. But you mm -hmm. can throw all that out the window for your Tennessee season because <laughs> you had one method basically that got it done across the board. And I want to talk about it a little bit because you tagged out in Tennessee, you get three tags and you killed three birds, which is unreal. Really cool, man, honestly. And I want to hear about it because. I put a little note here that roosted is roasted in, in <laughs> 2021. So let's talk about it, man. Well, in, uh, I guess in, in my defense or in whoever's defense, I didn't roost those birds. Uh, if But I, I did kill them within a few minutes off the roost, uh, each one of them. And a lot of that's luck. I'm not going to take a lot of credit for that. I mean, that bird could have been roosted, no telling where that morning, but he just happened to be there and uh, at, each, at each time. And the way that I killed those birds was, they, you know, all three of them were roosted in, you know, on the various days on like that top third of the ridge. And they started gobbling a little bit before daylight and it was still pretty good and dark. And so I was able to just close a lot of distance uh, to those birds by just getting on the opposite side of the ridge and walking down through there. Um, and because it was dark, they couldn't see me. I didn't really have to tiptoe because, you know, a squirrel, a, a little squirrel can sound like a 200 pound deer walking through the woods. Yeah you know, in the crunchy leaves. So I was, I, they could have at least thought I was a squirrel or something, uh, just stomping around down there. But that, uh, that helped me a whole lot. Just, you know, knowing that they couldn't see me in closing distance, I think that helped me more than anything. And I, that's another tip I give to anybody is like, Hey, if they can't see you and you're not making like a lot of human noise, you know, if you're just stomping in the leaves, if you're just walking, then they might not booger out, you know, like you think if they don't see you, then you can get pretty close. And that's exactly what I did. I got as close to those birds as I could without them seeing me. And it wasn't until I set up that I started calling to them. I called the first, I called to the first couple birds, just like tree yelps, just basically letting them know that there was a hen there pretty close by. And I think I know that first bird that I killed there that first morning, 
there were some other hens like on down the ridge from where I was. And so I had it in my mind that I needed to be the first hen on the ground and I didn't want those other hens to fly down and start playing their game and attract that gobbler to them. I wanted him to come to me. So like I said, I did those, you know, little tree up, super soft calling and just scratching the leaves. And I just took my hat off and I flapped it like I was flying to the ground, you know, as soon as almost as soon as it broke, you know, daylight. And it wasn't but a few minutes later, I heard that turkey that was gobbling fly down. And it was a few minutes later, he started walking. Uh, I could hear him walking up the ridge and I was set up. I was pretty tight. I think I was like 20 yards away from the that roll of the ridge. And it was early in season. I didn't have any cover really. So I just had to hope that he was going to come up right at my gun barrel, basically. And he sure enough, he did. He walked right up and uh, he bobbed his head a couple of times because he knew something was up. And then I was able to get a shot off and kill him. And uh, the second one was the second bird was real similar to that. The uh, the third one, it was later in the season. I think it was after we got back from Wyoming. And so I had some more foliage on the trees. I was able to get close again, but this bird was up higher on the ridge. So I don't think I got as close as I probably could have uh, because I was afraid he was going to see me you know, if I got too close. But luckily the foliage was on the trees and kind of the same thing, except I didn't even call to this bird. It was a bird I'm pretty confident that I had hunted the day before. He was on this, I showed up at like mid-morning to this spot. Uh, the day before, and this bird was gobbling on this little finger of a ridge. He was gobbling for a couple hours, uh, and I couldn't get him to do anything. He was pretty content just sitting right there and gobbling, and I couldn't cre- creep up on him without him seeing me from you know a certain amount of distance. So yeah, he got away from me that day. And the next morning, that's why I think it's it was this bird because he was roosted right next to that finger. And so my thought was, if it's that bird, he's gonna pitch off maybe come up to the top of this ridge and, you know, gobble and maybe try to attract a hen. If that doesn't work, he's just going to hang out on this finger for another couple more hours. So I just, again, I got as tight as I could to that bird without, without him uh, seeing me that I thought. And I didn't even call because I didn't know for certain if he could see me because I didn't want to call and him be seeing me and not, he not have anything to look at. I didn't have any decoys out. And so I eventually just, bit you know just bit the bullet and i just flattened my hat and i was just hoping that you know maybe that was just enough for him to know that a turkey flew off somewhere and that he couldn't really pinpoint pinpoint me i guess so i don't know if that if that was the case or not but that's all it took i, I just flat my hat and uh pretended like i was a hen on the ground and i didn't even call after that either and it wasn't but maybe a minute later i saw that turkey fly off the roost so i was really I really did good on accident <laughs> because I didn't know that turkey was there. I didn't know that turkey exactly was there. But uh, if I had started calling and doing whatever, he probably would have picked me out, you know, no problem. But he flew off the roost and within a minute he had crept up that ridge and I touched off on him. And that ended my that ended my season there. Uh, but, yeah, the, that tactic worked really well. And it was probably that was the first time I'd killed that many turkeys off the roost in the same season. I think I've maybe done one or two in the years, you know, previous to that. So it was just, I got a little aggressive and, you know, just tried to close the deal, you know, just by doing that. I kind of like that. That's something maybe I'll kind of take, I mean, in the future for me, I know I get kind of nervous a lot of the time trying to push that bubble, but 
You know, I, I think that probably comes from a few times I've been going in kind of almost like, you know, running behind in the morning and you go in, it's kind of like that gray light and you're creeping through and you're trying to get to where you have in your mind where you want to be. And you just kind of glance up and you can kind of see in the gray light and there's the birds and you're like right underneath them. You're like, oh no, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. kind of, I, I do like that tactic, but I just, it's, it's kind of screwed me a couple of times and I get nervous pushing that bubble, but I do see it working really well. Especially if you're, uh, if you're crunched for time, I think you sometimes have to be that aggressive in yep. my eyes, you know, anyway, you know, if you've got, if you've got a couple hours, you know, you want to close a deal. Uh, you're not out there to take sunrise pictures. You're out there to kill a turkey. That's true. So it, like, uh, especially like when we travel, when Jacob and I travel for a week, and I think that's what it maybe gives us an advantage when we're on the road and we're turkey on, that's basically all we're there to do. You know, we get up in the morning and we go and we go and we go and we cover ground and we don't get back to, you know, camp till that night. So we, we be aggressive. We know we only have a few days maybe after, you know, after travel days or whatever. So. I think in some situations, just being aggressive, you just have to swing for the fences sometimes. Yeah, no, totally. I know I don't have a whole lot of time to hunt turkeys. Like I'm usually a weekend warrior, but if I do get out in the mornings um, before work, it's usually like that first sit. I got a little bit of time after like fly down and then I got a boogie to work and I've got it done at like, I think the earliest I killed one one year was like 638 in the morning. It was like just after sunrise and it was it was perfect, but it doesn't usually happen that way. I mean, especially around here, I have a lot better luck, you know, that later morning area. But Kind of like our West Virginia trip where <laughs> we were down to the wire. I think we killed that bird at like noon, if I remember correctly, because the cutoff's one o'clock, West Virginia. I think I shot that bird at like 1238 mm. or yeah, something like that. <laughs> I know we were walking out and we were, we were wondering if we were going to make that one o'clock out of the field time, I think it is, in West Virginia, the way they word it. <laughs> it was down to the wire. We had just king shit over there on top of that hill. It was one big gobbler with his one hen, and he just would not ca- stop going. But we we were up against time, and it was funny that story. Like we had to, we were making this stock. We we spotted that bird from what seven hundred yards away. I think it was. It was almost eight hundred yards. Yeah, yeah. and wow. we marked it on Onyx. It was literally all the way across these hills, and it gets real confusing on there sometimes because you start to drop down. And you have cover, but then you got to get to the right spot and hope they're still there. And I remember <laughs> we're making the stalk and another bird gobbles and we start to make a move on it. And then we sit down and it's gobbling, making plenty of noise. So finally we realized that one's across a pretty severe creek. Like a like, gorge almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're like, all right, that bird's not coming. Let's go see if that other one's still there. So it's like an hour and a half long, just stalk. And sure enough, that turkey's still there. And we end up having to get aggressive. We end up having to basically crawl up. You, he crawled up in front of me. I stayed back um, and and tried to call and, and get the hen to come in because I knew the gobbler wasn't moving. No. And finally that hen came mm-hmm. down over the hill and then got close enough and the gobbler just the whole time. I was freaking out because I'm, I'm kind of sitting out in the, in the wood, like in the uh, brush, but I'm farther out. So this turkey had to be like 30 yards from Austin. But he couldn't see it because he was tucked farther in the brush another 50 yards in front of me in the angle. And I'm like, shoot him, shoot him. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm trying to film. I got about 2% battery left. I'm like, shoot him. What are you doing? <laughs> we ended up getting the bird, man. But it was it was a lot of fun. And it just goes to show sometimes you got to go through all kinds of crazy shit to get one done yeah, man. in a day. And it's nice when yeah. you have all day. You know, Tennessee, you can hunt all day. 
right? And, um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. now yeah. with that we being... on all day, and I've killed the majority. I killed the majority of my birds, you know, midday, uh, mid-afternoon, or just whatever. And, and like I said, it, it was, those three that I killed last year and a couple more before that were the only ones that I'd killed within, you know, a few minutes off a roost or right off the roost. So, and, you know, with, uh, that's actually, you know, that's helped us, you know, going out West too, uh, or going or traveling and turkey hunting, you know, being, having the mindset of, you know, hunting all day. I mean, yeah, take breaks. And if you're riding around, you know, stop and get you something to eat, you know, it's, you don't have to be in the same spot or little area all day long. I don't think, but just going from one spot to another and just, hunting somewhere all day long and that's helped us kill a few birds over the years i want to get into some of that travel and talk but we had the bayside legion on we just recorded with them and they're going after the united states super slam and it seems like slams are the big ticket item nowadays when you talk about turkey hunting and more people are getting involved in turkey hunting do you have any slam goals um where you stand currently yeah, I want to do, I want to get my grand slam and, uh, I'm going to Mexico this year with, uh, Jay Scott for Goulds and that'll be a step towards the, the Royal slam. But other than that, I don't really have any, I don't have any real interest in the U.S. super slam, uh, just yet. And I think it just goes back. I get burnt out on stuff real easy. And like I mentioned before, I didn't want to do, like, I didn't want to do the same thing, you know, every turkey season, you know, the same way or whatever. I don't want to ever just turn turkey hunting into work. Now, kudos to all those guys that are hitting 10 states every spring and everything like that. I think that's the coolest shit ever, but it's just, I'm just not wired for that just yet. You know, I got a wife, I got, I got a wife, a kid and the wife is pregnant. And so I, I just don't have it in my, in my mind to be gone every weekend. Now, maybe one day, you know, when the kids get older and I, you know, maybe that's something I want to pursue. But for now, I like taking off, you know, taking off that week of every spring uh, and using a week of vacation time and just going somewhere and just seeing some new place. And like I said, I'm going to Mexico this year and I'm building points in Florida uh, and I'll probably try to cash those in next year for an Osceola. And then uh, my wife even asked me, she's like, well, what do you what do you want to do after that? I said, well, you know, we'll still go somewhere every every year. And just go somewhere different when maybe we hit two or three states in the week or just see what happens. But there's no plans. You know, the U.S. slam just isn't in the cards yet, but I, I love the idea of it. I mean, God, yeah. you're, you see more things and you see some of the things in this country that you would never see unless you were turkey hunting or unless you were hunting. Uh, and it's it's a fantastic way to see our country. <laughs> you see the prettiest parts of the country being in the woods with a, with a gun over your shoulder, yeah. I think. So, and arguably some of the, I just don't want to, yeah, at some of the prettiest times of the, of the year as well, you know, that spring season, I've mm-hmm. seen more sunrises turkey hunting than anything else in my life. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's right. You know, it's a beautiful yeah, thing. And, uh, I, up until a few years ago, I'd never traveled. It was just intimidating to me. Uh, I didn't know of anybody that, you know, growing up that did it. The the guys that I knew that traveled and went hunting, you know, went with a guide or, you know, it was like elk season or whatever. They went out elk hunting with a guide or they did whatever on some big extravagant trip. And it wasn't until, you know, a few years ago and I started wanting, you know, I consider myself a student of Dave Owens because I watch that guy. I watch everything that guy puts out. And I started watching these other guys that traveled and, you know, they did it on public land. And I got to thinking about it doesn't really cost that much to travel. 
if you if you do it a certain way. You know, one you can drive, of course, but you know, I I travel a lot for work, so maybe my situation is a little different or a lot different from the average guy. But it doesn't cost me anything to fly anywhere because I build points, you know, from traveling through work. But I think you know if if uh, you get you a Southwest credit card and you pay that thing off every month and you know, you can pay your bills with it. You can do whatever with it. Just pay it off every month. I was just looking, I was just looking the other day and you can get a nonstop flight from Nashville to Denver, uh, for like 10,000 points. So if you saved up, if you used your credit card, if you and your wife used a credit card, uh, all year long and you spent a little over a thousand, if you spent a thousand bucks a month on it, bills, if I don't know, truck payment, whatever, and you just pay it off every month, boom. You got your flight paid for. And if your buddy does that, if your buddy does the same thing, you're both flying somewhere for free. And then you can split a rental car. So you you, know, you can get a rental car like a compact SUV or even a full-size pickup for probably 400 bucks or a little less. So if you split that with a buddy, that's 200 bucks. Uh, you get your full-wheel drive vehicle, knock around in for a week, go camping. Uh, that'll cut down on your, you know, your, your lodging food you're going to have to eat anyway so you don't even have to factor that in but flying is actually a lot easier than you think you know we've carried we've carried guns and camp stuff and coolers with us on the plane and not spent a dime of not spent a dime on anything if there's two of you flying you can have both of your guns and a double gun case uh, you can have on southwest you can have four bags for free between two people yeah. so if they're if they're under 50 pounds you can have uh you can have a double gun case. You can have a cooler and uh, all of our camp gear fit in this. I have this large, it's like a North Face, like heavy duty duffel bag. And so I would cram a tent or sleeping bag, sleeping pad, and just, you know, whatever we would need to sleep uh, in there. So that was another bag. And then you can have another suitcase or just whatever with your vests and whatever other junk you want to carry. And then on top of all that, you each have a carry on and a backpack. Yep. You can carry a lot of crap yeah. on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, you can. You you so, get to carry on your personal item in two bags for free when you fly Southwest. I just did that yep. when, when I went to that hunt with the Chase and Tells guys down in Florida. That's yeah. I took advantage mm-hmm. of that. And without that I could never made it with a flight. I would have been paying a ton yeah. of money. Yeah. Oh yeah. So but yeah, I I realize, you know, I travel a lot and I I build points that way, but you know, when you think about it, you know, twelve months out of the year and if you're paying like 10,000 points for a flight, that's less than a thousand dollars a month uh, that you're going to be spending anyway. You know, I'm not saying go spend an extra thousand dollars a month on <laughs> yeah. something, but you know, we're hunters. So we basically, we do that anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, oh, hey, oh, hey, you know, uh, <laughs> what you're talking about, man. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Buy once, cry once. We say yeah. that every month, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this one will last me forever. Next year, I got something new. It's like, son of a bitch. That's it, man. <laughs> oh, oh man, yeah. but guilty. You know, it's, it's it's not hard to say to you know to to build up points. You know, with that, a lot of guys or some guys are against having a credit card. If you pay it off every month, it's basically a debit card. You know, it's you know you're not going to go into debt unless you allow yourself to go into debt. So that's some advice I have. It's, it's a lot easier to travel than people think it is, even with guns. I mean, you can carry a gun on the plane so long as it's unloaded uh, and you have your shells in a factory box within that case. It's super easy. 
I would I would never have the balls to take a gun onto a plane, just so you know. Oh, oh man, I flown when I'm flown to North Dakota, bird hunting and stuff like that. You got to fly with your shotgun. I mean, it just that's what it is. <laughs> you might find a little piece of paper in your in your gun case. TSA. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, I check. <laughs> I check it. I would check it in. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's that's right. But well, they make. Yeah, they're they not going to let you carry it on. No, I, to, I know that. <laughs> but I'm saying like I'm saying like when I did it with my bow, I was more comfortable for whatever reason checking in a bow, and it's the same thing. But I just was like more comfortable doing that than bringing a shotgun down. I don't know why. It was just a mental thing. That I just I gotta get paranoid past. they were going to like bang yeah, up my bow well, and everything. Dude, I had a bow case and there was a guy with a freaking AR started just eyeballing me the whole time. I'm like, it's just a bow case, buddy. <laughs> Calm down. You know, it's, it's locked up with the TSA locks and everything else. And getting eyeballed from behind. My wife's like, hey, that guy's watching you. And I was like, I don't care. I'm too tired to care right now. <laughs> 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 and he kept getting yeah, closer. I mean, you just, uh, like you said, I put all the lock, you know, when I, like when I carry just shotgun or rifle or anything, you know, I put the gun locks, I take the bolt out, you know, if it's a shotgun or if it's a rifle, I mean, take the bolt out, like have it just laying there separate and then have that gun lock, you know, snaked through the bolt, you know, that the chamber there. Right. And I just try to make it to where if, uh, someone doesn't know anything about guns that has never seen one in their life. They n- at least know what a lock looks like. Yeah. And that it's going through that chamber and that it's locked and that there's other parts of this gun scattered about in the case, you know? So, you know, it is, um, you don't, you don't want to treat people that way, but you kind of have to dumb it down. Like, look, this is just an object right now. And here are the, here's the ammunition I'm going to use. It's in this box. It's in there too. It's separate. And just, try to make it as easy as you can on those people. Because if you get the wrong, if you have the wrong attitude with them people, they can just, they just won't let you on the plane. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. simple as that. It's quite <laughs> insane. Don't think that you're, uh, don't think that you're above TSA because they'll just make you stay home. I mean, that's <laughs> plain and simple. Yeah. So just make it easier on everybody and just take a couple extra steps and, and uh, make the gun to where, it just looks like it ain't going to do anything. Yeah. yeah. So traveling's a lot easier than people think. That's short and sweet of it. That's a fair point. Uh, we are driving out to Montana this year. So we're looking at 25 to Ooh. 28 hours in a vehicle. You really got to oh, like man. the person you're in the vehicle with for that long. So there's a reason Jacob's basically <laughs> the only person I've hunted for weeks at a time with. Uh, <laughs> because we... Uh, we drove out to Nebraska. We drove out to Oklahoma. We actually, we flew out to Wyoming and, uh, but he and his dad drove out to Montana when we went deer hunting out there, but I flew because, you know, I'd, and wh- another thing too, another advantage of flying is that saves you a day. Exactly. You know, yeah. instead of two days driving somewhere, you cut that in half and you get like, I could be, I left my house, uh, on Saturday morning, early Saturday morning and I caught a flight. I think I had a layover in Denver or somewhere. And I landed in Bozeman like around lunch or midday. And I was at camp at like eight or nine o'clock or something that night. So within a day I flew entirely across the country and I was deer hunting the next morning. So, (laughs) you know, what's your time worth, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, there's something to be said about that. It's something where when I grew up, everything we did, any vacation, anything family oriented, we drove. You know, we went to Myrtle Beach, we drove. We went to Florida, we drove. Mm-hmm. So that kind of got engraved in me when flying was something that I didn't do until I was an adult. You know, never flew. And it was just like, you make an experience out of the drive itself too. 
because you're seeing things you've never seen before. We're traveling to Montana. Yeah. We're going to travel through, you know, four, five, six different states that I've never even seen or been in before. But yeah. like you said, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's two full days. I'm talking full, full days that we're going to be just traveling, yeah. you know, and that's if we go straight yeah. through. It's just going to be all driving. Mm -hmm. So I got some plans for it, but I, I've also picked some places on the route, you know, in like South Dakota. Yeah. That I've already told them, mm -hmm. if we get lucky here, we tag out early. You know, there's this real nice looking spot in South Dakota on the way home. We could jump <laughs> over, hit South mm -hmm. Dakota, you know, <laughs> and just kind of work our way back. But there's always nice to have those plans. And then they all fall apart and go to shit anyways. We do. Oh, dude, yeah. We've uh, we've had those plans too. Like when we, when we drive out of Nebraska or we drove out to Oklahoma or just wherever. You know, you have all these aspirations like, oh, I'm going to tag, we can tag out early and then we can do this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out you're five days into your hunt. You may have killed one and one bird missed two other ones or something, you know, something has happened, you know, <laughs> but you just got to be real. You know, the reality of hunting is you could go across the country and you could come home empty handed. Right. You know, that is a very, very big reality that can happen. But uh, just having the drive and being willing to be flexible and increase your opportunities wherever you wherever you can, it's just it's more in your favor. Yeah, man. Yeah. Now, you mentioned before, it was kind of like a little bit of a teaser. You mentioned that you were going down to Mexico to hunt with Jay Scott and you were going for gold. Now, last year we had Jay Scott on and we had a whole episode dedicated to gold turkeys. I want I want you to kind of get into it a little bit, man. Like, how did that trip kind of come about? You know, what are kind of your expectations about it? You know, give us the whole gambit. Well, you know, I think uh, I booked that hunt last year. I think it was like, you know, the first quarter of last year that I booked this hunt with him. Uh, because I know how much, you know, everybody knows Jay Scott and everybody knows, you know, that he does Gould's turkey hunts. And I just wanted to get on the list and uh, put my name in the hat and just get that hunt going. Because I'm guilty of it and a lot of guys are guilty of it, you know. Tomorrow, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it one day. You know, one day is always, you know, you know, some extravagant day where all these awesome things are going to happen. Well, you need to make that soon and just do it because you're going to regret it one day if you don't do it. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I, I had uh, I'd wanted to always go down there. It's just, just going to be new country uh, that I hadn't seen. I've been to Mexico a few times for work, but this will be this will be the first time I've been into Mexico on my own personal for my own personal experience instead of uh, the company's. But, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just something I wanted to do and I bit the bullet and did it, you know, it doesn't, it's not that expensive. You know, you pay, you pay a deposit, which is half the hunt and then you pay the other half the next year. So you have basically two years to save up for this thing and you just got to go ahead and do it. Don't be scared. Get your passport. Jay apparently you know, takes really good care of, of your, of his hunters. I think we fly into Tucson, Arizona. And then we drive down to, I think the town is called Douglas. I think that's right. We stay at a hotel there. And then the next morning, Jay comes and picks us up and takes us across the border. And so he's basically taking care of us, you know, uh, up after that point. So we don't have to worry about taking guns. We're just going to use his guns. Uh, you can take your guns into Mexico, but I just think it's the way he described it. It was just a huge ordeal. It's just tedious. It can be done, but it's, well, it's just a lot. So. Yeah. We're just going to nix that and just use his guns um, and we'll hunt for a few days. And then when the hunt's over, he brings us back across the border and, you know, we fly home. So he made it sound pretty simple and I, and I hope it's that simple. 
but as far as the, anything other than that, I have no idea what to expect. This will be entirely, <laughs> you know, new country to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, uh, I talked to uh, Billy Argus a little bit at NWTF because I had recently seen him, you know, pop up in all these videos that he was down there, you know, last year or whenever. And so I'd asked him, I was like, Hey, what, what do I need to expect? Is there anything I need to bring, take, not do whatever. And the one thing he emphasized on was the weather. He said, you know, it is basically the desert. He said it can be, you know, 30 degrees in the morning and by the middle of the day, it's 80 something degrees and you're sweating from every orifice and trying to peel <laughs> off all your clothes. So <laughs> right. I guess, uh, I guess I'll just take every clothes, every piece of clothing that I own and, uh, fill up all my carry on bags that I just described with, uh, different clothing just in <laughs> preparation for this thing. But it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. No, absolutely. I've seen a lot of videos of, you know, Jay down there oh. and then the hunts and like birds beating up the decoys and the golds are just absolutely incredible birds, man. That I'm excited for you. That's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Any videoing going yeah, on while it. you're, while you guys are going to be down there? I know he videos a lot of his own stuff, <laughs> but yeah, I think he videos a lot. Uh, and my buddy Jacob, he just bought a Tacticam. So we'll see what, we'll see how that works. <laughs> and, uh, one thing, one thing I want to talk to Jay about if he'll let me do it is, you know, we're going to be hunting down there for, I think we're there for four or five days is uh, seeing if he'll let me try to kill one without a decoy. It was just something I did. I didn't kill one over a decoy last year and it was just a big deal to me. It was something I tried to wean myself off of just another one of those things to try to step my game up. And I'd like to try to do that down in Mexico because it, I don't know every video I see they're using decoys and I ain't got a thing against decoys, but I just, it's just something I want to try down there if you'll let me. Yeah, he's a reasonable guy. I mean, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he's had plenty of people ask him that too, honestly. I mean, Why you have a lot of guys yeah. that they refuse to hunt with decoys. It's right, just their right. style of hunting. And Well, know. I think when we talked to him too, you know, he he had mentioned how a lot of guys that go down there, they, they basically want to do it their way, uh, more or less. Yeah. And he, he's adapt to it. I mean, he makes his suggestion, his professional suggestion on how to kill birds because mm -hmm. he wants you to get the best out of your trip, of course. But I believe mm -hmm. from what he told us was that he was, you know, okay with the demands of other people. As long as it was something that was going to ethically get them a bird, yeah. then he was cool with it. Yeah, but yeah. now, do you have any, I guess, do you have any fears? Like you said, you've watched the videos. I've watched the videos a lot of times. It seems like they're just sitting in one spot, calling a lot over a decoy. Do you have fears going in there that, you know, if that's his style and that's how he's super successful is that's the way you guys are going to do it. Is that something you're going to not enjoy as much? Well, I mean, you know, if it's something that we, if we get to like day three or four and we haven't had any opportunities of birds, we might just have to do something, do something like that. Now it, it's probably not my first choice because like, like we've said, I like to move around mm -hmm. and I like to cover a lot of ground and, and do whatever. But at the end of the day, you basically have to take what the turkeys are giving you. And if, you're not able to get the job done uh, like you do back home, you know, you're down again, you're down there to kill a bird. You don't want to just throw that money away because you were too, too proud to do it sure. a certain way. Kudos to you. If you've got, if you've got the time and money to do something like that, <laughs> yeah. but at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try to come away with a bird. And I ain't going to lie about it or beat around the bush about it. Yeah. So we might, it may end up, we have to do that, but. We'll start out doing it the hard way, I guess, <laughs> and see, see who yeah. gets tired of it first. 
<laughs> yeah, it, when you do a trip like that, coming home empty-handed is just not an option. Yeah. It's not. No, it's not. It, this is a specialty not. hunt. This is a once, maybe twice in a lifetime type of deal where, you know, like you said, it's not super expensive, but you, you got, I mean, I'm, the more I talk to you and to, we talk to Jay, it's like, man, I got to do it. It would be really fun At to do At some that. point, I got to do it. And like you said, it, well, one day. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> But it's got to yeah, happen. It's, it'll that one day will sneak up on you, and then that one right. day will be a day that you won't be able to go out there and do it. So get yeah. out there and 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 go do it. Yeah, heck yeah, man. Well, I'm I'm pretty uh, excited for you for that trip. I think that's going to be a blast. I think you're going to really enjoy it for sure. I don't want to get away from Mexico real quick. I just want to I want to yeah. ask one more question. So, do you have any you know do you have any plans in the future to maybe go after the oscillated down in the Yucatan? That's still Mexico. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're interested in, or is that something you're just kind of like, nah, it's kind of like a peacock bird, it's good goofy, you know? It's, I mean, it's like the the U.S. lamb. You know, it's in that same camp. I may, I may want to do that one day, but it's just not in the cards right now. Cards, I yeah. don't have the the interest for it just yet. Uh, they do look cool. I I would love to go down there and do it one day, but I'm just not that motivated to do it just yet. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about the oscillated as we were talking about it because the, the style from what I've heard, and I don't know where I've heard it from, but I've heard, I know where you're going. Right. The way they hunt them. I mean, they basically drive around like we were joking about earlier and they shoot them out the window of a truck or something out of a eight foot tall tree. <laughs> yeah. Like this is what I've heard. And it's like, I think Jay told us that. I honestly. think it was Jay. It was yeah. Jay. Yeah. It was somebody that I would have trusted their judgment when they told me that. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. Like (laughs) this peacock bird, you know, there's a, there's some guys back home. That's what they do anyway. So they maybe, Uh maybe they'll feel right at home down there. (laughs) Right around shooting turkeys out of the tree from the truck. So maybe, maybe they'll just be right at home down there. (laughs) Power to them, man. Holy smokes. I'm I'm not opposed to any legal method. And that's kind of what that talk was about was, you know, that's, you don't have an option sometimes when you're with the guys down there, those guides, like that's how they hunt. That's how you're going to hunt. You know, it's not like you're going to yeah. argue with someone in their country on how they do things and yeah. how they're successful. So yeah, I don't have any yep. interest there either, but you know, it's, I'm getting more to, and it's weird. I'm in a weird place to where any hunting I'm doing now has been more like, I need the experience. Yeah. Experience based, you know, yeah. um, it was last year we had killed a bunch of birds in Oklahoma, come come back, next hunt out, killed a bird with my nephew for his first ever in the youth season, and then first day went with our buddy Boer and got a bird. So then it was like, okay, it's my turn to hunt. I'm going to go check out a new property, and I'm sitting there in my truck one morning, and I got all my stuff in my truck. It's always in there. Like, my truck's a mess during hunting season. But I'm sitting in there and basically in pajamas and half asleep it's raining and i look up and there's a whole flock of turkey coming up over the hill and there's a big gobbler with them and i see him making this cut to this pass and i'm like this would be dead to rights all i have to do right now is literally throw a jacket on grab my gun and because when they went over to this pass it's down over a hill out of sight and i'm on top so all i have to do is run down this tree line and set up in the corner i know they're going to come right up out of that corner and all I have to do is wait for him and bushwhack him, kind of like what you were saying. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, that's stupid. That's not the experience I want. I'm by myself. I don't want to do that. So we end up setting up the next morning, me and Geoff. 
and end up killing him right well not right off the roost but yeah 10 minutes off the roost he come down and made this big show you know we got all this video of it and it was like kind of made a show you kind of obliterated (laughs) (laughs) there was a lot that didn't get on camera (laughs) okay there was a lot that didn't make it on camera there was but yes it was it was pretty incredible pretty incredible so it was all about more of the experience, I guess, is what I'm saying, yeah. you know, different than just hunting yeah. to, to kill, you know. Yeah. And that kind of goes into, you know, something that I kind of wanted to talk about that, you know, we had mentioned on it. We kind of talked about it uh, on the Marco Polo with the with the Chasing Tales guys. And it's not about, you know, it's not about the kill. And we need to we need to showcase that, you know, on social media and however, however we showcase our hunting adventures because the world is watching. And as much as we like to think that hunting is a is a right, it is a privilege in my mind because it can be taken away. Uh, you know, and one thing that we talked about uh, last week in all of our discussions was, you know, hunter numbers and either they're declining or they're increasing or, you know, there's that debate or there's attacks from all there's attacks from all sides now nowadays because we're seeing a lot of anti-trapping bills. We're seeing. Uh, more and more of these state level WMAs like Yanali and there's one in Mississippi now that's a big topic. Uh, I think it's Black Prairie, I think is the name of that one. Uh, it's in the same boat. So there's attacks on hunting from all different sides and we we need to be a unified voice in that, you know, we want hunting obviously want hunting to stay, but we also want that habitat uh to stay in in the in these WMAs that we have. So it's you know, people want people want to argue that hunter numbers are decreasing or they're increasing. And I kind of found some data. I don't really know if it, if this data, how really true or accurate this data is. But, you know, in 2000, 2004, the U.S. population was about roughly 293 million people and hunters made up 14 million of those. So about 5 percent. And the next section of data that I found was from 2021 where there was 330 million people, the population increased 14%, you know, in that period of time and hunters were 15 million, you know, so hunters increased by a million, but our percentage within the U S population dropped to four and a half percent. So it's six and one half a dozen. The other, if you ask me, you know, yeah, the population is increasing or the hunting population may be increasing, but it's not, increasing at the rate that the u.s population is increasing yeah. we're losing our seat at the table is getting smaller and smaller and in in my mind that makes it easier you know for hunting to get taken away now is recruiting more hunters the answer i don't know but if we're going to increase hunters you know hunter numbers we need a place for them to go and i think that ties in with habitat conservation uh and keeping these wmas in the public domain to where everyone has access to them instead of a select few. So uh, I don't know what the answer is, you know, as far as either increasing or decreasing hunter numbers, but I know that more public hunting land is never going to be a bad thing. Right. This conversation, yeah, it was actually a really good conversation that we had in that Marco Polo group. And, you know, I chimed in a little bit as well. And I think we were on the same page with it. You know, it's, it's a shame when you look at it and I, I based it more in Pennsylvania statistics. Our license sales are decreasing 
compared to just, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago, we were at the height of hunter license sales. And the data that, you know, Walt had brought to the table, well, the actual hunter numbers are going up. But like you're saying, you know, there's a gap and that gap is growing. There is the fact that the cost of everything is through the roof. I mean, it's no surprise right now what's going on. Inflation is at a 40-year high. Everything costs a lot more money. So when you're trying to maintain and manage land, it costs more to do so. It costs more to pay people. It costs mm-hmm. more for fuel. It costs more for um, you know seed and and whatnot. And the return is not there. You know, hunter hunters are the biggest number bringing revenue into conservation. Like we are the biggest mm-hmm. percentage. But our numbers are so stagnant and the price of what we do in the state here as far as licenses and tags and permits, it's not really gone anywhere. It's been pretty much level across the board, but everything else keeps going up. Mm -hmm. And at some point, that gap is going to be so large between what we need to maintain good property and good land and, and open land for people to hunt and then the price of admission basically to go and enjoy that land, there's going to be too big of a gap there. Yeah. And it's a scary thing mm. when you think about, you know, you made it a rea- you made it a reality when you said, think about what turkey hunting is going to be 10 years from now. First off, yeah. nobody traps around here anymore. Rarely anybody. I was going to get into that. You know, so this is, this has been a huge topic, obviously in the last couple of years, we're noticing turkey numbers are decreasing. You know, the harvest numbers are decreasing. It's getting kind of bad. It's not what it was even when I was hunting at 12, 15, you know, 18 years old compared to now. That's, you know, 12 to 15 years ago. It was totally different. There were so many more birds. And it's it's something that um, hits you hard because if you're not doing your part and there's a lot of people out there that don't, like I said, it's just not a tradition anymore. Trapping is yeah. one of the biggest things. Mm-hmm. You well, know. it's like he said, I mean, there's the anti-trapping bills and stuff like that. I know, you know, 30 years ago, all kinds of people trapped around here. I used to yeah. trap like a madman. I have no time for it anymore. The fur prices are down. You know, a lot of people don't find any benefit in trapping anymore. Right. But you do see, I mean, just, just from trail camp pictures, the raccoon population, <laughs> out Boy. of control, our coyote population. Yeah. I, granted, yeah. there's a pretty big tradition around here of, yes. you know, hunting coyotes and stuff. But even that, our coyote population is out of control. Last weekend, I was rabbit hunting. I saw one of the biggest red foxes I've seen in a long time. Hmm. You used to never see foxes around here. They're all yeah. over the place now. It's it's stuff that, like, nest raiders in general, mm-hmm. terrible now. Mm-hmm. But, I yeah. mean, and I, you can attribute it almost all back to people not trapping or, you know, people aren't running coon dogs anymore. Right. I mean, that whole kind of generation just kind of fell off with the trapping tradition. It's it's crazy. No, I agree with you. And man, those raccoons, they owe me some money because uh, they take up a lot of my pictures on my spy point cameras. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's some damn bullshit right there. <laughs> All night long, it's like, oh, dear. No, nah, a raccoon, man. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so they owe me about 250 Yeah, I remember uh, I've, had a, I have a, I've had a camera on a feeder or something every now and then, and those damn coons will be like, doing pull-ups up on the feeder <laughs> yeah. like they're just training and bulking up on those things but uh, uh staying on the the predation topic yeah you know i think i still think it all boils down to 
it all comes back to habitat. Mm -hmm. If you have proper habitat, your predation is going to be, you know, it's not going to be as successful. You know, those, those, that habitat is there. Animals use that habitat for cover. They use it to get away from predators and to hide from predators. So I think if, if they don't have that, then yeah, your, your predators are going to just waylay everything around there. Now I'm not saying that you don't need, you need to stop predator management. No, absolutely. You need to be trapping, you know, this time of year and on up through, uh, the beginning of nesting season and just take, you may, you may not really lessen the population of raccoons in the area, but you're going to knock a dent in them in the, at the right time of the year where they're not going to have much of an impact. You know, once, once turkeys get big enough to fly and once fawns get big enough to run, you know, pretty good, then, you know, the coyotes and the coons and everything else that, that eats these things, they're not, their success rate plummets yeah. and they, they switch to other things. So I still think it comes back down to habitat and the education of the general public on what good habitat is. Uh, And we've seen in Tennessee, there was, I think it's Bridgestone, Firestone, WMA, the TWRA had planned to clear cut and make a, basically make a, a, an old school grassland. What used to be there, they wanted that back instead of the old growth timber. You know, everybody thinks that timber is real pretty and yeah, it's awesome to see deer come walking down through there towards your stand and everything else. But the fact is that that's not really proper habitat. You know, we've, I think we've, a lot of us have heard of the, uh, the tennis ball trick. If you take a tennis ball and if you can throw it, I don't know how there may be a certain distance you have to throw it, but if you throw that tennis ball and you can see where it lands and you can see where it's sitting, you don't have good habitat. So take that into consideration. You know, you're, you're in big open timber with nothing on the ground, but dead leaves and a giant canopy that's blocking the sun. That's not good wildlife habitat. And I think, especially with that being on public land, we have to maximize the opportunity to create uh, prime habitat. The state, like, uh, like we were saying earlier, uh, Tennessee is only made up of 10% max of public hunting land or public land in general. Now, boil that down. Like if you had a hundred acres and you could only manage 10% of that, like even if it was like a 10, a 10 acre block out of that 100 acres, and that was the best habitat that you could ever do that you could ever create, it's not really going to make a difference because the other 90% is not prime habitat. And I guess what I'm getting at is I think private land, you know, development and private land habitat loss is a really huge deal and of course we need to maximize what we can on public lands but those farms and everything else that we see especially where i live you know i live probably 30 minutes west of nashville every farm within an hour of nashville is in danger of getting developed no now you can't really blame the landowners like for instance my dad paid thirty-five thousand dollars for a 180 acre farm and a house back in 1973 and there's no telling there's couldn't that imagine land now is what that's you know, worth. There's no telling what it's worth. <laughs> Millions. But what I'm getting at is, yeah. yeah, you have somebody that buys a piece of land 40 or 50 years ago, and then you know you pay ten, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for the entire thing, and then nowadays somebody comes in and offers you tens of thousands of dollars potentially for one acre of it. You know, the wheels start turning in that guy's head. You can't yeah. blame the guy. No, no. that's life altering money. You know, people that have most likely struggled their entire lives through that generation, yep. you you got mm-hmm. big, big dollar signs that 
come in and it's, you know, they're probably around retirement age. It's just like, you know what, I can go and retire on this money, never have to worry about it ever again. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't blame them if they did it. Like you said, you can't blame them. I I mean, it yeah. depends how proud you are, but <laughs> I don't know how many people are going to deny yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, tough. It's, you know, and, you know, I'm a landowner. I, I own that farm now, the, the one I just talked about. You know, dad kind of turned that over to me, you know, several years ago. But uh, it's in my name and I have the power to sell that thing if I wanted to. But, you know, it's it's a bigger deal. And I think we really think it is or really, really see if you take a ride around anywhere, you can you can see anywhere where there's a farm getting sold off or it's oh, yeah. getting developed or a new subdivision is yeah. going in. Yeah. And I'm not saying that every farm is great habitat, but I tell you what, a a farm a bean field is probably better than a parking lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, well, I'll tell so you, it's <laughs> anybody that's uh, local to us here, you'll know when I say Cranberry Township mm. or Wexford. These areas, Joey, they're you know maybe twenty to thirty minutes outside of the city of Pittsburgh. Fifteen mm. years ago, they were all cornfields and rolling pastures today they're all housing developments Mm -hmm. businesses it's all commercialized and it's insane how quickly that happens but goes back to the first point you made where the population is increasing at a much higher number and we need places to put people yeah and the hunter number isn't increasing either so it's not like there's a bigger need for land for hunters than there is housing and people making money lining their pockets and it's mm. a it's definitely a worry worrisome thing and I'd be very worried about it in Nashville the way Nashville's been blowing up lately too with the import of people coming into Nashville from other states with everything going on and I yeah you know I can think mm-hmm. about like around here like he was just talking about that tennis ball trick you know, most of our general area here, I bet you could throw that tennis ball and you would you would see it. Our public land, our private land, honestly, a vast majority of it could probably use a good controlled burn and really bring back some of those native grasses and everything. Like when you were talking about that leaf cover and that tall canopy and that old stand timber and most of the places that I hunt, you know, that's that's a vast majority of what it is. And granted, you do have some places where like the game, Pennsylvania Game Commission has tried to do some some timber management and they do the control burns and they, you know, they might take out some autumn olive to protect this owl species or, or, or whatever. They do some goofy stuff. I don't know. I don't think that they have their priorities right for certain things, but I can think like if they, they've been talking more and more about how our turkey population is going down. I wish they would kind of focus more of their efforts. Turn it from pheasants to turkey. Turn it, it from pheasants like to turkey. We're not pheasants, a pheasant state. Like, yeah. What the pheasants hell? the big focus anymore. You know, they, they come up with a pheasant stamp and, they put all that money towards creating good. And the good, the positive about this is if you create good habitat for pheasant, you're creating good habitats for turkeys and other bird species as well. Essentially, yeah. But- you know, it's typically that that type of stuff that, you you know, the grassy fields and whatever they're planting. But it's not big enough. It's not, it's not enough. And to go off your point, Joey, about the tennis ball, like Austin just mentioned, think about this, Austin. When we were kids, I'd go up to the mountains. And we'd stay at a place called Clear Creek State Park. And when you drove through that park, you would see 80 to 100 deer in the park where all the grass and everything was. Mm-hmm. There was open area. There was actual things that were growing what they were feeding on. You drove through the woods of that park, 
there wasn't anything green, anything in, in, in the radius of which in a deer could reach. So you're talking, you know, eight feet up the trees. There's not even a branch. They've nibbled it all off and everything on the ground. And it got to a point where our deer numbers were decreasing pretty badly. And I think I would blame the management of the land and the conservation and whatnot on why our deer population started to decrease so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they started giving out more tags and whatnot, but honestly, it, it's it was more or less, they didn't have what they needed to survive. Now, there's a company and a lot of logging companies local to that area that start logging, start cutting areas, which brought back this deer herd. Like oh, yeah. where my camp is, if it wasn't for cutting. Yeah, they do selective cuts yearly, just bouncing right. back and forth, and it's bringing in some serious, serious vegetation and cover. And, you know, you get one of the slashes, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Now you talk about that area, and then you talk about 30 minutes to the west or east, potentially, and there's people that still talk about how their populations are terrible. And it's yep. it's that big woods, no vegetation that's mm. that's doing it, in my opinion. That's part of it. So that got my got my brain moving. The other thing I got to mention, though, I would love to see happen. You see these, you mentioned it, Austin, these coyote tournaments, mm-hmm. and these, which are huge events. You know, hundreds of coyotes are killed. And I almost went on when I saw a post, because I got some good buddies that run dogs and run coyotes real hardcore. I almost went on and posted on there. I would love to see this for a raccoon impossible tournament you know i actually (laughs) i i actually want to start i want to do something maybe with this platform we can do it but i want to do something where it's a raccoon tournament where you pow up a bunch of raccoons like this time of year and going into the spring like you said just before turkey season hold this like month long or weekend a couple weekends tournaments and do the same thing they do with coyotes check your regs because i think our I think our fur bear season just went out. Really? Yeah, I do. So you got to do a little bit earlier. But I mean, even leading up to it, take the population down a little bit, it'd be awesome. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I would have to look into that. But Mm -hmm. I want to do something like that. I think that can make a huge difference. That'd be awesome. You know? It would be awesome. Joey, what do you you have on your mind? What's something that you're trying to get out right now? So, you know, again, I think it it goes back to, you know, having that proper habitat and everything else and uh, getting the word out of what good habitat is. and I think we touched on it, uh, Charles, last week, and we were chatting a little bit that, you know, maybe this habitat issue is something that we can unite more people on, not just hunters, but, you know, even, you know, the environmentalists, you know, we all want good habitat, you know, regardless of what happens after that habitat is established, whether we hunt it or hike it or whatever, I think we need to, you know, focus in on what we agree on first, and then we can do battle later, you know, so to speak. And the the per, the perception of hunting, you know, you mentioned doing those tournaments. I'm all in favor of them. Uh, I would just be careful about it uh, because the pictures that you saw of those tournaments mm-hmm. are going to be on a PETA ad one day. I oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're already getting heat on that in in this state and all over yeah. with the with the coyote uh, tournaments. So yeah, I know there's a there's a fine yeah. line to be walked there for sure. Yeah, and you know, we've already said that hunters are outnumbered, and I found some more data that was pretty interesting and it's actually kind of scary and it was the number of vegans and vegetarians in the united states which you don't really think about or i never really did before but i found this in 2016 vegans were 0.5 percent of the u.s population so just around 1.6 million which isn't a lot but in 2020 
they were 6% of the population. Wow. Oh, man. They, they're about 19.7 million now. So you, just vegan. So you're saying the vegans now, are eating all of the deer and turkey vegetation? <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying oh, is 19.7 vegans, 19.7 million vegans get united on something versus yeah. 15 million hunters. That's a lot you know, of people yeah, that don't want that's animals. Not, that's injured. not good odds for us. We've quickly been outnumbered. And then, uh, yeah, and then vegetarians—they're about eight percent of the U.S. population, so they're twenty-six, about twenty-six and a half million, twenty-six point wow. four. Now, again, I'm not trying to say that all of those people are our enemies, but they're not going to be the ones. Sh- they're not showing up at these, you know, commission meetings and everything else, fighting for habitat. And I think they could be. Because, like I said, that's something we can focus on from both sides of the table is focus on that habitat and uh, maybe not so much get those guys in the game as in, you know, them paying uh, fees for use of public areas or whatever else. But we can still get the word out on proper habitat, uh, regardless if they're vegan, vegetarian, hunter, carnivore or whatever. That's something we can unite on and, and really help wildlife everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Those numbers are staggering, man. That is actually really scary. You know, yeah. You said you you mentioned like maybe not all those people are our enemies, but I got to be honest, I don't I don't know that any of those vegans are hunters or, you know, have you ever met a vegan hunter? <laughs> no, but it doesn't yeah. mean they oppose hunting either, Yeah, right? but I mean, I, yeah. I generally no. you would think generally that they're probably they are... against harming any animals or Well, well, let's put it this way though. And it, and this goes to be said about anything. When you look at it where the the smaller percentage of that population is extremely radical and loud. Mm -hmm. That's how you portray the entire population. Yeah. Right. And that can be said about anything across the board. A couple bad hunters put a bad name on the entire hunting population, just the same as bad vegetarians or vegans. So you don't know. That's true. but, But by the simple fact that they don't consume meat or any product that comes from an animal, I'm guessing they probably don't 100% support the management of animals unless they understand and are educated, like Joey's mentioning here. What you what we have to do as hunters and as conservationists, I guess, we have to find that common ground. How can we portray what we want to do and our goals in making better habitat to be a benefit to vegans or vegetarians or animal lovers? That's where it gets tricky, but there's there's common benefits for us and them is what, what he's mentioning here. Yeah. And we just need to portray the message. We need somebody, a big name to portray that message in a wider span to get some of those people, some of that percentage on our side. Yeah. You almost have to play devil's advocate to kind of understand both sides and, yeah. you know, be sure. able to, you know, properly portray what you're trying to get across. I mean. Just even understanding from their perspective, I mean, it, it's difficult, but you have to understand their perspective to even get your point across to them too. I mean, but think about it. There's, there's got to be plants out there that are dying, that are becoming extinct, which there are certain animals that are in, included in that plant that will go extinct with it. Let's put example, for example, the monarch butterfly, right? If we don't have good property that's producing milkweed, for the monarch butterflies, the monarch butterflies are going to not benefit from it, right? So they're going to be harmed by the fact that there's something out there in it. And that's just an example. But I think where we can 
realign and find common ground is what's out there that with good proper habitat helps the population of that animal. Yeah. And if you're talking about turkeys, if we get the point across that, hey, good habitat will make more turkeys, it will help poults survive. And you put some of the real numbers out there of what some of the predators do to turkeys. You put those numbers out there and you put it in front of somebody's face and say, hey, if we do this simple thing and we raise money to do just this one thing, and whether it's burns or whatnot, we could save 100,000 turkeys' lives next year alone. Is that, a, is that enough? You think that's enough? It's a great question. I don't know. I mean, it, that's, uh, it's, it's negotiating one-on-one. You know, finding that common ground where both parties take something away from the table is going to benefit them. You know, if we if we come to these, you know, we'll just keep, uh, you know, vegans and vegetarians or whatever, just as an example. If we come to the table and just start bashing those guys and, you know, you know degrading their way of life, then we're not going to get anywhere. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying anything, you know, go quit hunting or anything like that, I guess. But, uh, you know, we just we had to focus on that common ground. And the perception, of, I think that's why the perception of hunting is so important. And it goes back to, you know, to those pictures of the tournaments or whatever. You know, if we if we showcase our hunting livelihood on social media in, in a respectable mm-hmm. way uh, that, you know, if I'm, I'm pretty confident that the pictures I have on social media are not going to end up in an anti-hunting ad one day. And I think there's a lot of hunters out there that probably can't say the same thing. And maybe everybody needs to ask themselves that. Right. You know, what, what am I, what am I showing the, the non-hunting world, what hunting really is and how do they perceive it? Are they going to see a, a beat bloodied shot up? No telling what on the back of a tailgate. Or are you going to showcase like, Hey, I took this bird. I worked my ass off, uh, to getting this bird's element and I beat him at his own game. And now I'm going to take him home and eat him. Uh, I'm going to preserve his feathers or his body or whatever. And I have these memories with my best friend that are going to last me forever that I'll remember in 50 years. Uh, and you know, the list goes on and on and on. And I just think that we as hunters can be our own worst enemy and that we show the world sometimes the worst side of hunting or the bad side of hunting when we need to show them like, Hey, we care about this earth. We care about these animals. Yeah. We, you know, we take their lives and we eat and everything else, but you know, we want them to be around for our grandkids to do the same thing. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I think you do have a point there that a lot of people do kind of show the bad side of hunting totally un- totally unintentionally, you know, but I, I, I mean, I kind of feel the same way if you look on my Facebook page or anything like that. I don't try and show people, you know, the bad side of it. But, yeah, you know, well, I think when I was younger and I was probably, you know, maybe a little more ignorant. Um, or naive that you may have seen something like that but in all honesty it's nothing that would ever go against respect for the animal right uh, and respect for the game in which you chase but the old school stubborn ass attitude that i don't care what a vegan thinks doesn't work anymore no you need to be more cognizant of, mm -hmm. of, of everything that you're doing yeah in today's world you have to be it's unfortunate but you have to be if you want to get anything done and you want to help your own cause you have to see it through the, someone else's eyes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I would agree. Nobody wants to see a pile of 200 coyotes piled up. It, it's not a good look. You can make a post if you want that we, you know, it was a very successful weekend. Here's your winners. 
whatever, that's great. But the picture doesn't need to happen. You know, the, uh, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but the laying down beside an animal picture. <laughs> you I won't catch me doing that. I cannot stand it. That needs to go away. It needs to never come back. It should have never mm-hmm. been a thing. But that's that attitude where, you know, people are putting um, that PETA, <laughs> PETA filter over top of yeah. something like that. And it's just like, you guys aren't helping, you know, but. <laughs> In Pennsylvania, especially, we have a lot of them guys around here because it's a deep-rooted, very traditional state, and there's a lot of old-school tactics and old-school way of thinking still alive today. Oh, yeah, they're setting their ways, and there's no change in them, and mm-hmm. that's kind of that's to a detriment too, because you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna show them the perspective that they need to, you know, be a fighter for you. But it's just kind of. I don't know. That that's a difficult topic yeah. to to tackle. But but in the same sense too, you have guys on social medias that are that are outdoorsmen and they're they're supposed to be hunters, but yet they're they're purposely going out and finding these types of pictures and calling people out and bringing it to light. Yeah. And all they're doing is giving the same mm-hmm. fuel or same ammo to these groups like PETA. Yep, absolutely. It just doesn't need to be done. You know, it can be done in a more discreet manner. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's something. There's some things you send to your buddies, and then there's some things you you post on social media. Absolutely. You know, if I if I shoot a turkey at ten yards and the wad goes through his head, I'm not going to post it on social media. But I'll probably show my buddy and like, look how <laughs> crazy, look what just happened. Mm-hmm. That's pretty wild. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not going to put that on the on the on the web for 300 million people to see. I, I, I get it, man. Yeah, I get I it totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fine line that we walk. It's a tough line, but yeah. Do you have any more statistics, Joey? I'm I'm just curious. Um, you know, all this all this Um No, I think I was it, you know, the ones that yeah. you know that kinda of caught my eye that I've kind of thought about when we were, we had talked last week about hunter numbers and mm-hmm. how they stack up against the rest of the population. It just those numbers really drive home the fact that there's you know, we're you know, what what I say, like five percent of mm-hmm. the population, if that. Maybe we could be generous and say that maybe there's some things we don't account or that these statistics don't account for. And maybe we could be generous and say that we're maybe a little less than 10 or something. I don't know, something like that. But regardless, there's at least 90 to 95 percent of the rest of the population that don't do what we do and that have a vast impact on whether we get to do that or not. Yeah. Whether we think whether we think that or not, you know, what's 15 million? Or yeah, what's fourteen or fifteen million versus another three hundred something million? Right. The the non hunting voters have a huge, huge impact on whether or not we get to hunt this spring or tomorrow or five years from now or ten years from now. And we just need to be sure that we're doing all that we can to move hunting forward instead of just, you know, staying where we're at or regressing. We always we continuously have to be working to promote hunting in a positive way. Yeah. It's the reason why we still don't have full Sunday hunting in Pennsylvania. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it has to go through hands of people that are not involved in what we do. But going back to what we've just covered, I mean, if you make a positive impact on somebody that doesn't hunt and you portray yourself in a positive manner, when it comes down to it and the vote comes down to it, that person might vote on your side because they know you. They yeah. know who you are, they know what kind of person you are, and they know why you do it. And if you can have an intelligent yeah. conversation with those kind of people, that is just, that means the world to what our chances are moving forward. And 
you know, we have people that we mm-hmm. have friends where every year we, we donate them a deer if we can, because they, they don't hunt, but guess what? Their whole family will support hunting one day if it ever comes down to mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Because they mm-hmm. understand it. They understand why we do it and they, they appreciate the meat and you know, that's just one thing that you can do. Yeah. One more step in the right direction, man. Yeah. Food. Yeah. Food is one common ground. Absolutely. That we can, not, not with the vegans and vegetarians, mm-hmm. unfortunately, that we talked about, but it's a common <laughs> ground you can find with the other 85% of people that aren't vegan or vegetarian, it seems. So, well, speaking of all the vegans and vegetarians, it makes me hungry for turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Joey, with all the turkeys that you've killed, and I'm, I'm sure you, you know, being all over the U.S. and stuff like that, you probably had a couple different recipes that you've tried. Do you have a favorite turkey recipe? I'm, I'm taking a very hard right turn here, but. No, it's all right. Is there one that you no, give, the, give a go-to or one that you kind of like want to try or? I mean, one thing that I do almost every year with my, with a couple, couple turkeys or whatever is I grind them in the turkey burger uh, because my wife likes it. Yeah. And I don't know if you bought, if you bought ground turkey in the store lately, I don't, that it's stuff's up like terrible. the price of beef anymore. So, you know, and that's another way, you know. If your wife's not really big into eating wild game, may grind her up some turkey burger with some. I don't know if you can use bacon or whatever as some fat or pork fat or whatever if you got it. But uh, anyway, you know she's going to be buying that stuff anyway. You might as well try to, you know, introduce her to wild game or introduce somebody else to wild game via via that way. Or another way I like to do it, and we grew up eating uh, the turkey breast this way, and we would just slice it across the grain and either beat it with a tenderizing hammer or send it through a tenderizer if you got one. And I think Meat Eater just put out a recipe for it uh, not long ago. They call it they call it schnitzel, but we just Ooh, we yeah. just call it tenderized turkey breast, and uh, <laughs> yeah. we would just batter it with flour and uh, and fry it, and it would be I mean, it almost tastes like pork at that point, you know. It was just white meat. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. You can uh, bake turkey breast in Italian dressing. Just put it in a roasting pan with the lid and cover it with Italian dressing and roast it uh, that way, or you can slow cook the legs and thighs and pull the meat and use for 200 different recipes that involve any kind of pulled meat. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's all you can do. And I think, I think I'm going to take it a step further this year. I might try to save the bones out of one of my turkeys and uh, roast them Ooh. or smoke them and then make some stock. Yeah. Uh, because again, my wife buys oodles of chicken stock, so I might try to try my hand at that. <laughs> I don't blame and she you, can't, man. she can't eat a BB, you know, with turkey stock, so I got that going for me. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Totally. <laughs> Have you point. ever ventured into a thing known as a gobblerito? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of Charles's favorite things. <laughs> that, that's a real thing. I think I need to hear more about this. Okay, yeah, it is. It is my all-time favorite come Thanksgiving time. Uh, there's a, a Mexican restaurant around here that does a gobblerito. It is a giant, massive, oversized burrito in which they put turkey breast meat in, stuffing, corn, mashed potatoes, and then they they pack it all into this giant, giant oversized burrito. Basically an entire Thanksgiving dinner in a burrito, cover it with gravy, and then serve it with cranberry sauce on the side. Yeah. And man, I tell you right now that if that ain't the best <laughs> damn thing on this planet, and I, why have I never done that myself? I have no idea. But as soon as he said Gallerito, my mouth started watering. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's phenomenal. I might need to get that recipe. Yeah. 
I'm telling you, just whatever you do for Thanksgiving, your normal Thanksgiving dinner, make all that stuff and put it in a burrito. Yeah. There you go. Solid. Oh, there's beans in there too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's <laughs> all the major food groups just wrapped up in a little <laughs> Yeah, man. Right <laughs> exactly. I'm I'm more of a, a grill grill them and put them into like tacos or something like that. I I love that, man. Yeah. I love fried turkey. That's yeah. just kind of like making oh, nuggets out maybe. of them out of the breast or you know, mm-hmm. I even like butterflying a breast out and kind of pounding out like you were talking about. But then I kind of make like a roll teeny, mm-hmm. just doing like some stuffing, make some mashed potatoes on the side, gravy, bacon in the oven is nice. pretty awesome. I don't even know what schnitzel is, I'll be honest, but it uh, sounds super German. Is that a German? It is. Yeah, taste? it's just like they use pork yeah, like he was talking about. Um, it kind of tastes like pork, but yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of I've heard of people doing it a lot with pork pork tenderloin or yeah. backstrap or whatever. And uh they uh they would take the same principle. They would take pork tenderloin, slice it, uh, and then beat it pretty thin where it was almost crispy when you fried it. Mm. Uh and that's how they would do it. And I think that's basically how meat eater uh, says to do it too. Just beat it pretty thin and maybe batter it with panko breadcrumbs oh, or flour. A little flour, or yeah. Just shallow fry. Yeah, that good. sounds so damn it's good. good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's a big it's flat good, nugget, man. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what do you eat that yeah. with? Like, what is what is some of the side dishes that would go with that meal? Whatever you want, make macaroni and cheese or potatoes yeah. or something like that. Most people just kind of like dip it in ketchup, yeah. like chicken fingers. What? I'm serious. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or you can. Uh, you can go to the grocery store and you can get you a you can get you a bottle of Chick Fil A sauce. Oh, nowadays. fire! Yeah, I have two at home. Just or at so least you, you know. at least you can down here in the south. I don't know how they treat y'all up there. But oh man, no, we got Chick Fil A uh, everywhere we can get it around here. Yeah, we I, gotta I, drive I, about thirty five minutes to get Chick Fil A. Last time my wife came home with Chick Fil A, <laughs> and she surprised me. She had two of the bottles. And they're in my one for her, one for yeah. me. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> we love it. I'm a, I'm a condiment person, man. I have it all. Yeah, every condiment you can imagine. I love it. Charles here is our resident ranch dressing expert. Yes, self-pronounced <laughs> nice. ranch dressing expert. I've had yeah. pretty much everything from chocolate pudding to uh, oh my god, yeah, to bologna with ranch oh to my. find what didn't taste good with ranch and. Yeah, bologna yeah. was the one thing. Very different. So, <laughs> fun fact. <laughs> Man, that is good. That is good stuff. And there's so much more we want to talk to to you about. I'm sure we're way up on time. We are, but I don't even mind. It's been a great episode. Oh, I don't care at all. Um, I have one thing in mind that I want to cover, but you know, if you have anything, you let me know. I just wanted to cover real quick, like the NW- NWTF convention, because we were both down there. Mm-hmm. Um, you went on a weekday wisely. But what do you think about the convention? I'm, you've obviously been to more than one. You live very close to Nashville. So yeah. what do you think about this year compared to prior years and um, the entire convention as itself? What do you what do you think about it? You know, over the years, you know, like you said, I'd been I think I've been to every one that was in Nashville since like 2003. Whenever I got my driver's license I, every year after that, except for I think for a couple of years that I lived up here. Uh, you know, in, in uh, Virginia or Maryland, I didn't go the those years, but every other year I'd been. It seemed like I don't know. The one thing I did notice there was a bunch of uh, apparel and T-shirt companies there. I don't know if you noticed that, but it seemed like every aisle had a couple of guys or a couple of companies that just had a booth for T-shirts and they were selling merch or whatever. Yeah. And so I don't. I mean, I don't care what people do. It was just something I noticed, but it, I really enjoyed it. You know, like. Like you said, I went on a Thursday. I took the day off and I went on that day. 
because I kind of vowed to myself I was never going to go on a Saturday ever again <laughs> because of the, <laughs> the sea of people that is always there on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I I liked it because, you know, I went and I saw Dave Owens. I chatted with him for a little bit. Uh, who else did I see? A couple other guys that uh, have podcasts. I talked to them, mm-hmm. uh, met Cuz Trickland, talked to him for a few minutes. So I was it, I liked cool it because dude. I was able it's to so talk jealous. to these people for a few minutes rather than standing in line, shaking their hand and go and going about my way. You know, I could actually have a conversation with these people. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think what separated this convention versus, you know, even before 2020, you know, that was the last convention because we didn't have one last year, but before then, you know, I hadn't really connected with that many people via social media, like other hunters in the last handful of years, you know, with YouTube and, uh, you know, podcasts are a dime a dozen you know these days you know no offense hey i got a podcast to add to the Alan Cochran <laughs> podcast she, no offense taken uh, man <laughs> oh, pop right there hold on hold on shout that out again <laughs> add 10 gallons concrete podcast so there you go if anybody's in the concrete industry you know what add 10 gallons means when the concrete truck rolls up to the job site <laughs> but um so yeah go search us out if you like hearing about uh concrete and all kinds of construction shenanigans there you go but um but again, you know, everybody's got podcasts now. A bunch of people are on YouTube. There's there's all these ways we could connect with people via social media. And it used to be I would just go to the show and I'd walk around and, uh, you know, I might see Will Primos or, or Michael Waddell and I'd have to stand in line and I'd shake their hand and that would be it. But now that, you know, I know guys like you, I know, uh, you know, the Southern Outdoorsman, I know mm-hmm. Dave Owens, I can, I can, you know, hang out and talk to some of these other people. I went to the Primos booth. I saw, you know, Lake Pickle and Jordan, and I talked to those guys for a couple minutes. And I think what separated, like I said, what separates this convention uh, versus the ones in the past is just being able to go up to people and, and just, you know, you talk to people and talk to people you haven't seen in, in person before and, you know, connect with them. And it was just a lot better. I really, really enjoyed it and can't wait for next year again. Yeah. I can vouch for that, that, you know, we went to the Great American Outdoor Show over here in Harrisburg, and that show is unfreaking believable. On went opening day, it is packed, packed like it's unreal how big that place is and how packed it gets. So when I went to the convention in Nashville, it the first thing that stood out to me was, man, this is small. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's basically like <laughs> one room, and I and I got to talking to one guy down there, uh, John Collins. He's a predator hunter. And, freaking dude just a killer coyote killer um from kentucky the guy's awesome and i got to talk to him about it a little bit and he was at both shows as well and i i mentioned to him i was like yeah it's busy but you know compared to the other show it's not really that bad he's like well you could put this show in one little corner of that show size wise (laughs) but it was extremely busy to the point where yes i saw dave owens you know there's three or four guys around him i'm not i i felt like I would be more of an inconvenience at that point to try to go over and strike up a conversation, right? So mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't really get to talk to a lot of uh people that I wanted to when I went down there, but you know, it was still really cool, an amazing experience. I don't regret it at all. I plan to go hopefully every year from here on out, but maybe plan for a Thursday or Friday <laughs> instead of a Saturday, like you said, because there, <laughs> there were just droves of people. I, I got there probably yeah. 10 o'clock. This is how crazy it is there. I had to mark my parking spot 
on my uh my hunting app because just to find my car again when I come back out. <laughs> like because the parking lot is <laughs> giant and it's not labeled, it's not like, you know, row K or row F. It's just a giant open mm-hmm. parking lot. And I'm like, I'm marking this on my map right now. And it came in use when I tried to find my car later on. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's a pro tip for you if you end up showing up at the show at 10, 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it was busy up until about 4 p.m. And uh, it was still pretty busy. It was, yeah. uh, it was pretty cool, man. I, I had a really good experience down there. I did notice there was a lot of vendors down there. Funny enough, the Pennsylvania Game Commission was down there. It's so strange to me. How crazy yep. is that? And, and it's wild. I was thinking as I passed the Tennessee booth in, in your guys' wildlife conservation, whatever they're called, I passed mm-hmm. their booth and I was thinking, we're so close to like Kentucky. All these places should be down here. Like they should be here at this show talking to people because it's at that show where you're going to hear the stuff we just covered mm-hmm. over the last hour. Yeah. You know, and get good ideas and get good feedback from the people that are actually out there doing the turkey hunting and seeing the numbers and the population either decline or incline and and increase whatever. So it's like that's the people that I think I was very proud to see Pennsylvania Game Commission down there with yeah. a huge booth. It's awesome. Yeah, and all they were Absolutely doing the whole, awesome. the whole time all they were really doing was handing out free stickers. Yeah. Yes. Well, Whatever. They showed some presents. <laughs> but that's all I wanted to cover. If you got one more thing you want to talk about, Austin. I just want to hear like an absolutely amazing turkey story. I want I want to hear Joey's favorite turkey story. Do you want to save it? Do we? Do you want to save it for the Campfire Fridays? You know what? I do. Okay. I do. do that. We'll do that. All right. So you guys got to tune into a Campfire Friday episode to catch the rest of this one. Yeah. I, I like it. <laughs> I like the suspense. All right. So, Joey, anything else you wanted to cover, man? Anything we talked about? Uh, anything you didn't want to miss that you, you may have noted down on your end? I can't think of anything, man. I really okay. appreciate the discussion. I don't care, you know, how long we, like I said, I'm uh, I'm on the road, so I can talk all night if we if we want to. And I think we could if we really wanted to. But, man, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, and everything we talked about. I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely, man. We appreciate you taking time out of your night. I know you're on the road and you're probably bored sitting in your hotel room, but we do appreciate you coming on <laughs> and, we and hanging out with well, us. We enjoyed well, man. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you. Appreciate you coming on and can't say enough good stuff, man. That was a very, very good conversation. So we appreciate you asking the right questions and, and kind of putting it back on, on some really good topics. Yeah. But before we let you go, can you shout out and kind of tell everybody where they can find you or, you know, social media, all that fun stuff? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook, just regular old Joey Bell on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Reverend434. I'm on there if you ever want to chat uh, turkeys, and I can tell you about all my failures. I'll be happy to tell them <laughs> to you. <laughs> Very cool, man. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks again. We'll see you again on the Campfire Friday episode here. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right. <laughs>